Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room X Men Comic Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam, and my name is Jeremy. We are here today to discuss Uncanny X Men number two hundred fifty nine. The March 1990 on sale, January 2nd of 1990. We're in the 90s. Um, officially, cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Dream a Little Dream. Yep, and on the cover of this, the, co- uh, the cover proudly c- proclaims Colossus trademark unleashed against the Genotians trademark. <laughs> I have. I, I'm impressed that you noticed those because I never pay. Like, I don't even notice them when I'm looking at the cover. I just, I don't know. They've, they always, I don't like text on my covers. I think we've covered that. I definitely don't <laughs> like it when there's dialogue boxes on covers. Uh, but I find it funny that they got to put trademarks next to all of the names. Or I guess I don't know if they have to put trademarks next to all of the names or if they're choosing to do so to protect their IP from other comic companies. It's kind of weird because, like, they don't do it inside the comic, so there must be something about the cover that kind of is, I don't know, more easy to steal or something? Yes. Somebody could take a picture of the cover on the newsstand, <laughs> and, and they would know, or they would steal our name Colossus, which, can you actually trademark the name Colossus? I think you can trademark the, so you can trademark this character, Colossus. You No, I don't think you can trademark the name Colossus, right. but you can you can trade the likeness along with the name. So, like, certainly the character design and a character named Colossus, like, uh, you can you can definitely trademark that. Same thing, probably with the Genotians, right? The style of the folks that are on the cover and the name, the proper noun, Genotians. Um, and Genotian, you can probably just trademark outright because I think that's a wholly unique creation. Well, that, that's the one that kind of perplexed me is like, who cares if somebody steals Genotians? <laughs> it's Marvels. You don't want like <laughs> Superman battling the Genotians. The audience might get confused. It's not like Marvel is known for the Genotians. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, it's a good cover. Uh, it's a Sylvestrian green cover. It is Colossus uh, in his human form with, um, so it's Peter, I guess, with uh, blue jeans and a black tank top. He's all muscly and he's just beaten the the snot out of these genotians and behind him are uh two characters who if you're not following closely and even if you are following closely you might not know who they are i assumed it was dazzler and kitty pride you could safely make that assumption but you'd be wrong you could also say that oh colossus is protecting boom boom and kitty pride <laughs> i i couldn't even tell you who these two characters are after reading the issue so <laughs> well it it looks to me like these are two women. Uh, that much I gathered. But I think that the foreground woman is... Uh, foreground woman! <laughs> is Jenny, whatever her name was, from Genosha, the mutant. Uh, so I figured she was the background woman. I feel like the background person is a man. Oh, you think that's Philip? I think that's Philip. Um... I think there's some weird stuff with the inking, giving him kind of a V-neck, also giving him what kind of looks like uh, maybe eyelash or, or mascara. So, so for me, the hair color matches the the background character matches the hair color of Ginny, and uh, nobody's hair on this cover matches the hair color <laughs> of Philip. Maybe yeah. the belts of the Genotians. And the only reason I think that it's Jenny is because the hair style is closer uh to the hairstyle in the book 
It's a logical conclusion. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue. <laughs> if this, if this was a uh, t-shirt, I probably would not buy it. Cause, uh, I don't know. It's not really, it's not really very X-Men-y. No, but I, I like the cover. It's very, it's very Sylvester and green. And it's in, in, in my opinion, this cover as well as the art inside this book is like pinnacle Sylvester and green. I think the, uh, it has the classic no backgrounds of Silvestri's covers. Yes. Which I'm okay with. There's a nice little red to orange gradient in the background. Yeah. Kind of gives it some mood. Is that on the original comic, I wonder? I don't remember. Got to dig it out. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's open this thing up. It is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Dan Green. Tom Morzikowski is the letterer. Glynis Oliver is the colors. Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And we start this this story, this story of a dreaming a little dream in an apartment, a very nice apartment in lower Manhattan, Soho. Soho. Towards the end of summer. These are names that I'm familiar with, but have no geographical reference for where they actually are. See, I was always under the impression that things in new york city moved but I, I think it's not i think values in, in new york city moved. so soho is always soho but soho is like where the hipsters live probably around this time in the 90s okay whereas nowadays it might be a completely different uh, group of people you've got this this apartment's got just gigantic windows huge vaulted ceilings it feels a little excessive for an apartment in new york for the salaries that i'm assuming that these tenants make but i could be wrong Judging by the issues, I don't think they make salaries at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have jobs. And I think since they're uh, effectively illegal, and I guess they've got political asylum from Genosha, but, you know, they're not even United States residents, technically. So do they get like a government stipend? I mean, mm. how do they, what do yeah. they do? I, I, well, it's a studio apartment, and that's not a play on words because there's, uh, there's canvases, there's an easel there's paper all over the place this is a perfect setup for uh an artist to live in this is a classic studio apartment it's a big open space very very high ceilings uh probably this probably runs somebody in new york city this let's assume that this this room that we're looking at is the apartment mm -hmm. this is probably like to $2,500 a month uh, yeah i mean i don't know anything about new york rent but it certainly can't be cheap Maybe not in $1990. <laughs> De-adjusted for inflation. But uh, that's a lot of money for people that don't have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they, they bust down the door, these guys, and they, they call the people inside Gene Jokes. So we already know that these are notions that are breaking in. Your days of running and freedom are over. We learn some new abilities that the Genotians have uh, as Jenny and I. I don't remember her last name, but I'm sure we'll we'll get it at some point. Uh, she is the mutant that uh, Philip, the son of the gene engineer, rescued from Genosha to catch everybody up. Um, one of the Genosians says, Mutant 4817, stop! And all of a sudden, she can't move. Right. Silence. She'll speak when spoken to. And now she can't talk. She takes her clothes off, uh, revealing her mutant skin suit, so she's still got that thing on. Who do you think you are, Mutie, dressing like a human? I am human. My name is 4817. <laughs> uh, and uh, so evidently during the preparation phase, 
subconscious commands were were implanted in their brains or something? Surprisingly, Philip doesn't know about this because he says, what have you done to her? Yep. And uh, I, at this point, I didn't even realize that this was Philip and Ginny that we were dealing with. <laughs> um, yeah, I did just because I, I was I always had a soft spot for the Genosha storyline. It's a good storyline. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's a genetic modification process includes an indoctrination, indoctrinational subroutine. Makes muties totally obedient to authority. Pity it can't be used on normal folks. Boy like you, pathetic. With every advantage, your dad's the most important man in the country. And see how you behave, betray him. And that's how that's when I realized, oh, this is Philip. And that's probably Jenny. Yep. Not that I remembered either of their names, but this <laughs> yeah. is that guy and that girl that ran away from Genosha. So uh, he he knocks Philip down, uh, kicks him in, or punches him in the gut, knocks him down on the ground. Uh, Jenny's restrained or mutant 4817. So Pipeline uh, has uplinked to the phone line and uh, he's going to he's going to transport them through the phone lines back to Genosha. Nice play, Philip. Putting scrambler circuits on your phone to block my signal link up, but all we had to do was move upstairs to this empty loft. As soon as my call goes through, the pair of you get digitized and transmitted home. All of that exposition is not necessary. <laughs> On, what would, how would you how would you have done it to explain that? Uh we've been looking for you and we found you. I don't know. <laughs> like, He's uh, gotta explain how his power works though. The the whole pipeline thing. But does he have a power or is the suitcase just a high-tech device that can upload you through a phone line? I don't know. I, th I was assuming that he was a mutant, that all, all of the press gang were mutants. I thought so, too. Uh, do you think his little suitcase or his power makes like a modem noise? Oh, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. And do you think it takes like seven days to upload a person? <laughs> Yes, it's a very slow process, and it comes in line by line. And if somebody picks up the phone, like you have to start all over again. <laughs> you might actually lose the person. Oh my god, we lost another one. God, gosh, gosh darn, call waiting. Half of them, at least. Oh, there are a lot of people that listen to our podcast that probably don't know what we're talking about. Back in the day, <laughs> before the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah the what is it the bbc bbs bulletin BBS. board systems yeah. the bbc is the british broadcasting company mm -hmm. the bbs is where you you had you had your modems and you would uh you would transfer i guess images yeah anything very very slowly text files uh, images yeah. uh and it would take it would take days shareware games it was so worth it, though. Yeah. And then, and then if you had call waiting, which was a service that if you were on the phone, your phone would click and you could hit the receiver and you could talk to that person and then you could like flip back and forth. But that didn't work so well with modems. It just knocked you off. So and then when you were <laughs> downloading that picture of whatever it was, and it, it was, was called, <laughs> ah, was it? It was probably like <laughs> Cindy Crawford in a bathing suit, which was the closest you could possibly find. <laughs> I just, it's just, I, I like the idea that it's porn because of how pathetic it is. Because like line by line, you're just like, oh my god, I can almost see something. <laughs> yeah, in glorious sixteen colors, there it comes. Uh, oh, somebody made a phone call. I could almost see something. Anyways, uh, pipeline is about to upload everybody when a very naked, very large man shows up and says, 
Uh, I think he says it like this. Who are you people? What are you doing here? Leave those two alone. You know, I was thinking about that, and I think you're right. Um, mm-hmm. Based on some context clues we'll get later. Right. Although I wonder if there will ever be context clues or, or I guess, things that actually happen to confirm this. Uh, is it just me or I kind of wish, you know, when they would do these naked silhouetted pictures, we'd get a yeah. silhouette of everything. <laughs> not 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 in like a pervy way, but it's just like that's that's not how that's not how bodies hang <laughs> unless unless he's like walked up full mast like, hey, everybody, uh, just ignore this. But I am very angry right now. Did you see the thing that made the. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you see the thing that made the news recently where there was a naked Batman silhouette and it's and it's as you describe things hang properly and, you know, everything is shadowed, but you can kind of make out details. Was it an more I- so than more so than this It's exactly what you're describing. <laughs> That's awesome that this would be. And people went crazy over it. Was it a, a comic panel or? or an yeah, a- yeah, it was it was in a comic. I guess now did people go crazy over it? Because number one, it existed. Number two, it was too small. Or number three, because it was too big. You know what? Probably people didn't go crazy about it. It was probably the media picked up on it and they were like, oh my God, did you see Batman's junk? <laughs> I just, it would just, you know, I'm not into that sort of thing, but it just would make a little bit more sense. This this way, he just looks like a mannequin or a Ken doll. He's a Ken doll. Yeah. Yeah, a buff, a very buff Ken doll. Yeah. I mean, Ken... Ken is generally pretty buff, but I don't think he's got these kind of mammoth arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Ken uh, definitely does cardio. Uh, this yeah. guy weightlifts. <laughs> so anyways, the magistrates open fire, and uh, this guy dodges out of the way, uh, which gives Jenny uh, the chance to get the jump on one of the magistrates. After the magistrate clubs... Uh, Philip in the face with his gun. Yeah, Philip's getting kind of beat up here. He does. He, Philip does uh, do like a sweep kick and knock one of the Genosians off their uh, off their standing. I guess they yeah. they fall backwards and stupid boy, you just sight his death word, and they all shoot and and then yeah, Jenny comes in and says, he better be just hurt, just a little hurt, magistrate, or you'll get worse. Oh, and it's weird because Jenny in this panel has a nine on her suit. Which is none of her numbers. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what any of the uh, iconography or symbols on any of these Genosian suits mean. I feel like they change from panel to panel, but. I was, I, I thought they were the numbers that they were assigned. And I even looked for a six thinking maybe they're just upside down. But apparently it's unrelated or maybe she's wearing somebody else's skin suit. I think once the skin suit is grafted to you, like without some surgery, it's it's just stuck to you. Or maybe her number originally was eight six seven five three zero nine. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just let that sink in. Um, hey, you either get it or you don't. <laughs> Jenny throws the magistrate against Pipeline, who says, "My trans facts." So that right there tells me that the upload is not a power. He he just owns a transfax. And fax machines are actually slower than your old school BBSs. So, I mean, it would take like a month to upload somebody. Well, here's the thing is like this is a transfax. So it's basically a fax machine. But mm-hmm. without his mutant powers, it's just a regular fax machine. 
Yeah, I guess that 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 I, I could buy that, right? So the fax machine just establishes a connection with a remote location, and his mutant power just probably allows transport over two connected connections. Just so happens, maybe. Hopefully, faster. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like almost immediate. Yeah, I, I could I, I could buy that. I don't think they ever describe it like that, but. Yeah, I, that's that's just what I'm guessing. Otherwise, they could have anybody be Pipeline. Uh, Pipeline's mutant power is knowing how to use the transfax. <laughs> <laughs> use it well, because if anybody else uses it, it does take several days. <laughs> um, so the man, the big naked man, is still fighting a magistrate. Um, they fall out of a window, but but are able to kind of hang on to the ledge. Yeah, the the magistrate. Well, I guess Colossus uh, smashes the magistrate through the window, but then they somehow flip over, and now Colossus is hanging outside of the window, as, and the magistrate is threatening to uh, drop him. We don't we don't know that this is Colossus. Oh yeah, sorry, the naked man. <laughs> there you go. With that has no Russian accent. Yeah, that's him. Um, the magistrate says, "Poor bunny," <laughs> for some reason. Maybe that's Genosian slang. Well, he uh, the the big naked man got shot in the shoulder. What does that have to do with bunnies? Ah, uh, this guy just likes shooting bunnies. And, and <laughs> okay. now that he sees a wounded naked man, he's like, "Oh, poor bunny." I thought I thought maybe it was like some sort of uh, Genosian slang for for some kind of uh, mean thing to say. I don't think <laughs> so. You're, you're you're just a little bunny. <laughs> So the magistrate's getting ready to push Peter the rest of the way down to the ground. The police are here uh, at this point. And Philip shows up with one of the other magistrate's guns and points it to the magistrate's head and says, I'd reconsider that if I were you. Wait, who's Peter? Did I I say Peter? I think you did. Oh, man. That's not what I meant. Oh, I I meant Philip, not Peter. Philip. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know who Peter is. There's no Peter in this Yeah, there's no Peter (laughs) yet. So they go to the hospital a short time later, uh, patch this man up. Uh, it's fine because the bullet went all the way through. Yeah, it's not just a hospital, but they they also must have called the police. So they're because um, unless there's some sort of transition that they didn't mention here, the police and the Genosians are all still here. It says Saint Vincent's Hospital, a short ambulance ride down to Greenwich Village later that night. So. Uh, the police and the ambulance took the magistrates, uh, Jenny and Philip, and this naked guy all to the hospital. Okay. I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> but they did because as they're patching Peter up, I'm sorry, the naked man, uh, the police and the magistrates talk and then take the magistrates to jail. You can't do this. We're accredited law officers doing our job. Sig hail to you too, sport. I'm no Nazi. Could have fooled me. Kids applied for political asylum. You got no right to take them. Even if you did, there are procedures. Attempted murder, battery, breaking in law. You want to uphold the law, Pelly? Best of you, start by obeying it. How does a New York beat cop have this information about international political asylum in 1990? This is the best cop in New York City right now. (laughs) I study all of the papers. <laughs> like, when they send us a briefing, I read it. Otherwise, they wouldn't send you the briefing. Do you hear what I have to say? <laughs> Even the, uh, the the hospital tech seems to be kind of up on the knowledge because he calls the naked man a hero. 
which, mm. you know, presumably is because Jenny, who nobody notices, is wearing a weird outfit. I guess it's, it's just, we, we just got over the 80s. That's acceptable. Yeah. So they, Jenny and Philip must have explained. Uh, this, this naked man here totally saved us. Oh, that's normal. Jenny Ransom is her name. That's right. It just came to me. I don't remember what Philip's last name is, though. Philip Ransom. <laughs> Philip, the, Philip the Gene Joke. Mm. Uh, what, what is his dad's name? Gene Janeer. Philip Gene Janeer. <laughs> or would it just be like Philip Janeer because his dad's name is Gene? <laughs> <laughs> if that's not what it is, that's what it should be. <laughs> Somebody really dropped the ball when they were creating <laughs> characters. Uh, pipeline is like, Hey, I'm entitled to a telephone call. Don't do it. And you'll get it. Mr. Pipeline. Is it same as every other common crook? At which point you could be like, Oh, he's going to make a telephone call and teleport back to Genosha. That's what I'm assuming. So he's not the best cop in New York city. Yeah. But I don't think that's what happens, but I don't know. Although, you know, you would think that Philip or Jenny would be like, Hey, uh, before you let him make that phone call, well, you know. they're like, hey, uh, where's the trans fax? <laughs> as long as that's in the garbage, you're, you're probably okay letting him make that phone call. So we cut over to Hollywood on the opposite coast. Uh, Beale Productions is out of business. I feel like this is all stuff from Dazzler that I have forgotten. Yeah, I think this is all from Dazzler the graphic novel. The only thing I remember... About Dazzler the movie, which is exactly what's about to happen, is, oh man, and I don't even remember that, uh, her co-star, uh, the old guy, the washed up movie star. Um, let, let's go back here. Hello, internet. So Freddie Stanichek, who is about to appear, is, is also from Marvel Graphic Novel from 1981, number 12, Dazzler the movie, which starred Dazzler. Loading. <laughs> I can't. Roman Roman Nekoba. Nekoba. Yeah, that's that's it. And Eric Beale is also in it. He is uh, listed here as a villain. Hmm. Yeah, I I remember feeling kind of sad reading that Dazzler graphic novel because I feel like she gets sexually taken advantage of multiple times. I do. I must have blocked that out. The, <laughs> I do. I do remember. Doesn't doesn't Roman Nekoba have like. He's totally made up, and then when he takes off his makeup, he's just like a sad old man. Yes. Okay, I remember that. There's a there's a montage, and I think it's in the Dazzler comic where he he wakes up and he's this hunched over bald old man, and as he's kind of making his way through the room, he's straightening himself out, putting his girdle on, getting his wig on, and and then getting made up to be the handsome dashing. What was it? Roman Nicoba? And doesn't Dazzler love him regardless? Or did they even have a relationship? I can't remember. They had a, a bit of a relationship, but I also feel like she had a relationship with this Beale guy. Maybe. Like, I feel like there was a breakup and then a get together and I don't know. I just remember reading all that feeling kind of bad for Dassler. I don't remember this Beale guy at all. I remember this Roman guy uh, relatively. He... Um, but Beale, the only thing that I know about him from this issue is that he is a producer I don't remember why Dazzler the movie never gets made. I don't remember either. Probably because <laughs> it's too uh, political or controversial because it stars a mutant at the time or something like that. I don't know. I don't re- she uses her powers and I think everybody gets freaked out. I don't remember. 
Yeah. Um, anyways, so at the Beale Studios, a security guard walks in and catches Freddy Stanichek going through a box of scripts. Also from Death of the Graphic Novel, don't remember what he, where he did it all. Well, according to this issue, he had a huge crush on Dazzler, but I also do not remember him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so what's happening here is he's packing up some stuff that he bought at the closeout auction. So I guess they're liquidating everything from Beale Studios and he bought a bunch of boxes and uh, he's packing it all up to leave. And in one of the boxes is the original reel to Dazzler the movie. So... He now owns Dazzler the movie. One reel is not a movie. Well. One reel is like 12 minutes. He owns 12 minutes of Dazzler the movie. Time was, I had the self-confidence of a net, scared of my own shadow, till one special night and one special woman, presumably Dazzler. Oh my gosh, Dazzler the movie. Don't remember that at all. Sounds sounds like a pretty awesome story for this guy. <laughs> you know, we should really read that. Yeah, yeah, we should... Uh, <laughs> We should have covered that in an issue of episode of the Danger Room, uh, or or at least have reviewed it. <laughs> I yeah, we should have done that. It's too bad we didn't. Yeah, it's pretty par for the course, you know how we roll. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Anyways, uh, I would assume that this box has all of the reels to dazzle the movie. Yeah, but maybe I'm not. Assuming so too. I think it it would be pretty awesome if this guy was you know, clueless enough to be like, I got the Dazzler movie. And it's just 12 minutes of a movie. And it's like the middle 12 minutes. <laughs> it's the credits. <laughs> no, it's like the flat area. Like it, it's, it's kind of the filler portion of the movie where we're getting towards the climax. And that's all he owns. It's like her shopping it's, for 12 minutes. It's, it's just the, the trailers at the time. And then the opening credits. Oh, there you go. Or not, that doesn't even make it to the opening credits. It just gives you the uh, the studio reel. Yeah. Beale Studios presents. <laughs> <laughs> Change reel now. Or I guess wouldn't it have been like a cigarette burn at the time to let you know that it's time to change the reel? Yeah. Um, I don't believe the industry ever called it that. But yeah, they're essentially kind of like little, they look like cigarette burns. I think that was Fight Club that called it that. That's the only way that I would know what to refer to it as. Weren't you a projectionist, Adam? Didn't you have to switch out reels? I, I was, but by the time that I was a projectionist, there there were platters. Oh. So you just put the entire movie, uh, all, all the reels fit onto one platter. That seems like a better way to go about it than relying on a human to do it right. Well, when you get into like theaters that have 12 different movies playing at the same time, that would be impossible for one man to manage. It's like, ah, 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 <laughs> got to change the reels. I have I have done movies where you change the reels though. Oh, you know, one time here's here's a little interesting story. Okay, uh, remember, remember Passion of the of the Christ? Uh, I I uh, I never watched it. I never watched it either. Okay, but we got the movie and we had, we were not expecting it to be so popular, so we only put it in one theater, and it sold out that one theater and the uh, another theater uh, accompanying it. So what we had to do is run it through two projectors in order to play it like five minutes apart or however long it was. It goes through the one projector and then we put up a bunch of like uh, things to, to support the film going over to the other projector. It was really cool. That was, that was probably the most fun that I had working as a projectionist. Oh, so like the, I'm imagining the room, did the room like 
face out to multiple theaters and you had multiple projectors in that one room. Is that how that worked? Yeah. So the, the booth, uh, has several windows, uh, 12 in, in our theater mm-hmm. and, and projectors behind each window mm-hmm. and each of those windows is a different theater. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so we would, so we, we went from theater one to theater two and just kind of played it. <laughs> so you would have to like get done with the first reel, slam it into the second, uh, projector and then just keep doing that all night. Well, no, because it was on platters and it was all just one thing. We just had to configure it once. Oh, okay. so, so we set it up to play. And then it usually had like a trailer uh, thing. So there was a lot of lead. Mm-hmm. And then so none of the movies would start. The trailers might have started in the middle in the first theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not. I don't know. There was probably other stuff too. And at the beginning of trailers, there's usually like the little uh, theater promo or whatever. Yep. So you run all that through the first thing. And that's probably what ends up being in the air between the two projectors. Wow. And then you just start them both at the same time. And they're running at the same speed, so well, as long as long as one of them doesn't uh, <laughs> speed up or slow down, everything should be okay. Well, that's 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 pretty awesome. That's amazing. It was it was neat. It was yeah. pretty neat. It was, uh, they actually trained you to do that in uh, projector school, which you have to do when you're a projector at a at a big movie place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you th- they tell you you're never going to have to do this <laughs> until one day Passion of the Christ came out, and you're like, I know how to do this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nowadays, I think they just press play. All right. Nowadays, everything is digital, so it's just. Uh, I'm not sure how they would do that. I guess. I guess it's it's hard drives now, right? I I have no idea. I was watching. Uh, I may have told the story before, but I was watching uh, Deadpool two, and all of a sudden, it started skipping and fast forwarding like a Blu-ray. That was. Oh really? Yeah, and I was like, oh, we were all like, whoa, what's happening? Like the theater full of people. Uh, and there's no projectionist anymore to be like to watch and troubleshoot as issues come up. So it's, this thing's like skipping and moving all around. Uh, and so I, I went and was like, Hey, the thing's broken. And so they came in and, uh, they're like, Oh, it, it is. And then they stopped it and they're like, okay, well, uh, just, just hold tight everybody, you know, and like 10, <laughs> we're going to go blow on the cartridge. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they opened up the Nintendo and started blowing on the cartridge and like, all right, try it again. And then it just started blinking at us. It was super obnoxious. Uh, so they came in like 10 minutes later, they gave everybody like a free movie coupon and, uh, they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just about ready to get this going. Like you could tell that somebody was calling technical support cause nobody knew how to fix this problem. And, uh, um, I asked, like, oh, are you just going to start it? Like, it, it died at, like, the seven-minute mark. Are you going to resume it from there? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So when they finally got it resumed, it was at, like, the 20-minute mark, or it was, like, way further in the movie. And I was like, wait, wait what? And I went out. And I was like, what do you do? Like, we just missed, like, a big chunk of movie. I thought you were going to start it over. They're like, oh, you wanted us to start it over? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how movies work. Like, we're missing a big chunk. And, and they're like, yeah, no. So I don't know if the movie was streaming and the internet connection got garbaged up and that's why it started skipping or if they had to go find a different hard drive or what but they didn't start it over from the beginning it seemed to be like they started it off from like where it needed to be probably for the next showing to make the the right time hmm. so so i wonder if it's pre-programmed to know where it's supposed to be it could be like they might have plugged in the new hard drive and it's like oh you're at 19 minutes let's go start from 19 minute mark so that you can make sure that the 9 30 showing can get going uh, but either way i I ended up getting two free movies out of that because I went and I was like, oh, I want my money back. <laughs> I got my money back and then I had my free movie coupon. And then nice. I came back later and, and saw, it, saw it at some other time. And you don't want to miss like seven minutes of yeah. Deadpool 2. Come on. 
That's that's the whole story bit. There was this other time, uh, speaking of movie theaters, one of the reasons that I, I don't like going to movie theaters anymore and one of the reasons that I feel like there still should be a projectionist is we went in to see uh, Pacific Rim and the screen was skewed. Like the bottom of the screen was like bowed upward and the top of the screen was fine. And I was like, I can't, I can't watch this whole movie with the bottom of the screen skewed. So that was probably just a lens that was like loose or something. And somebody just needed to go up there and snap it shut. Or if it's a projector, you probably just hit auto keystone and the thing just probably fixes itself. But either way, like it was, it was, it was skewed. So I went and got a person. So it was happening to the credits. I was like, oh, it's probably just the credits reel. It'll, it'll be fine once they get to the movie. And the movie started like, <laughs> yeah, it's right. Not, it's not fine. It's obviously the projector. So then I got somebody and I brought him in there. I was like, look, see, look, it's skewed. And he kind of looked at it. He was like, no, it looks fine. I'm like, no, no, the, I, like the bot, like, look, like, look at the, the, the proportions of the characters. Like they get big and then they get small because the screen skewed. And he's like, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he left and and then he never fixed it and i watched the whole stupid movie with the bottom of the screen skewed i'm like nobody else cares nobody else in this theater <laughs> is like angry that this screen that it's supposed to be like a perfect digital picture is skewed and i get irritated by stuff like that like they're they when kids throw gummy bears at the screen and they stick there <laughs> and then there are little holes in the screen when they eventually fall off nobody notices that stuff but it, i hate it, it, it <laughs> I'm like, ah, there's a hole in that screen. That, that, that would honestly probably bother me less than, than a skewed image. But, yeah, probably. But I, I, I can hear what you're saying. But <laughs> anyhow, uh, that doesn't matter anymore because uh, at this point in 2020, we're never going back to a movie theater. I hope not. <laughs> Anyways. The drive-thru is thriving, though. How about that? That's what I hear. Walmart par- and, parking lots being turned into drive-thru or drive-ins. I wonder what kind of projectors though are those are. No, oh they're playing old films, so they might be they might be going back to the old thirty fives. I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. No, I think there's a nobody knows how to use those anymore. <laughs> no, there's a couple of drive-ins around me, and in the lobby they have the giant projector. I think just kind of as a look. This is what it used to be like. I'm guessing that they're just like high high uh, lumen projectors. They're just getting a DVD or some other, uh, it could not, be, not yeah. a DVD, a Blu-ray probably. We're at the point where you can't even really tell. No. But but I, when digital when digital projectors started, the, the idea was that they were going to be like, I thought it was going to be hard drives with like enormous amounts of data surpassing like a Blu-ray or a, a 4K uh, Ultra HD disc or anything like that. It It probably is. I don't. I don't know. I just, I just assume it's a Blu-ray. But you're probably right. It's probably a hard drive with a huge uncompressed movie on it. So I did, uh, I did once play a 16 millimeter copy of 2001, hmm. where I had to uh, use the cigarette things because it was on two different projectors, hmm. uh, pointing at the screen, and you would have to like. When the, when you hit the cigarette burn, you run the other projector, and then you have to reload the projector, and then you hit the cigarette burn, and you do you hit the switch, and so you time the switch. So I did that. I did that at least once. That was kind of fun. It was two thousand one, so it was exciting. I got to bring it home, and I was like, and I spooled the whole thing out on my floor accidentally, so I had to rewind it up. <laughs> you was, got so much dust and hair on that print. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I I played it in a tiny little thing on my wall, which was kind of pointless. <laughs> Did it have sound or were you just watching the yeah, edge? Yeah, 
Oh. It had sound. No, the, the, the sound is in the film strip. Oh, that's awesome. Well, anyways, we're, we're reading an X-Men comic here. Yeah, yeah so we should really get back to that. Um, 20 minutes later. <laughs> Guido's here. Uh, I think we've met Guido before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah when, when we first were introduced to Lila Cheney's house, or Lila Cheney, yes, thank as you. we like to call him here on Danger Her. Room. Her. Uh, yeah, that was the first time that we saw Guido. Uh, he might have been... He might have been in an adventure with Lila Shanae. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, as an X-Men reader, this was definitely my first uh, introduction to Guido. And in fact, I don't even know that you get his name for a little bit of time. It is It is somewhere in this page or uh, in this uh, in this book. The computer, the computer calls him Guido at some point. Is it Guido or Guido? Sure. I'm going with Guido. We could call him Strong Guy. <laughs> not yet. Not for a while. Apparently, he was also in Spellbound 4, which we also covered. Hmm. Maybe that was his first appearance. So he's out for his morning constitutional when he sees somebody uh, rolled up on the shore, and he's like, oh, like a partying groupie. You're not supposed to be here. Uh, and whoever this woman is, she's covered in uh, seaweed, and, and he moves that away. And he's like, oh, my God, Allison. It's it's a naked Allison. Covered in seaweed. Just like the other person was naked. Do you think there's a connection? Nope. Okay. <laughs> and then on the next page, he goes, Dazzler! Jeez, Miss Allison, I didn't mean what I said earlier. Orders, you understand? Gotta keep my toes. Else, house would be up to the rafters and groupies. And... I, I can't buy that as Guido. It's okay for now, but, uh, yeah. I, I feel but like... By the time he gets to X Factor, that that's not going to fly. Oh no, no, no! I think uh, I he changes for sure, and and I don't okay. know that. Uh, well, who writes him? It's Peter David that writes him in X Factor, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, he, I feel like he gets a complete because right now to me he just looks like a hunched over old man, and by the time you get to X Factor, I feel like he's more or less redesigned, a little bit more sleek, not quite as old looking. Okay. And. uh Probably a little bit more like this. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. We'll 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 get there when we get there. But right now he's he's kind of just like the house help, and I don't really like the way they're they're writing his uh, uh, vocal affectations. Orders you understand? Gotta keep me on my toes. Else the house would be up to his rafters and groupies. Yo, house, roll out the red carpet. Yep. Uh, but since you're one of Lila Shanae's band. You get fair use of the place. So the the house has a computer. Um, well, I guess the whole house is a computer. It's a it's a pretty nice house. It's like one of those kind of like uh, Museum of Modern Art style buildings. It's yeah. all big with spacious windows, and the whole side of the building is a window. It's a Malibu mansion. It's pretty cool. Uh, do we know that that Lila Cheney's house is like all computerized and automated, or is this a new thing? I think this is a new thing because I feel like the first time we met Guido at her apartment or her house or whatever it was, it was we didn't really go that far inside. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before many times in this podcast, in fact. And Lila Cheney right now is lost in space, trapped in space, trapped in a different dimension. Another dimension. I believe that uh, everybody thinks she's dead. Okay. Uh, at least Cannonball thinks she's dead. Oh, that's right. They were they were dating. Yeah. 
So uh, he loads her up onto this automated floating bed. The computer's like, there's nobody here. Right, because we were didn't we speculate about whether or not this would reset the uh, that the uh, the travel through the Siege Perilous? I almost said Peach Serilous <laughs> uh, would reset the whole cameras thing. Uh, how the X Men are not visible on cameras? Well, we get we get uh, well we already got it with the Psylocke, but we get we get more uh, verification that they are still not visible by cameras. Yeah, I feel so that that was probably my fault and my poor assumption. At some point, the invisible to computers thing goes away. And I don't know if it's like, hey, Magneto did a thing to you and now you're visible to computers or if it just goes away and nobody talks about it. I hope it just goes away (laughs) and they never talk about it because that would be hilarious. I had always assumed that when they went to the Siege Perilous, like it kind of reset them. And that attribute, uh, which made me wonder about Wolverine, since he doesn't actually go through the Siege Perilous. And I guess technically uh, Storm doesn't either, but I think Storm's a whole other case. That's true. So in any event, the, com- the computer uh, can't detect her, but is somehow also able to work on her? I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing one can but try, says the computer, as in regards to helping her. So yeah, give it the old college try. Elsewhere, Mask, the Morlock, is taking pictures of Callisto. This was sort of weird because it doesn't actually go anywhere within this issue. It does. Um, oh, it does? It okay. It absolutely does. But I this is another storyline that I'm just not clear on how it resolves or where it goes. So we get eight panels of four of which are Mask's face, three of which are camera uh, flashes. And one which is a skewed mirror of what Callisto's face must look like, and it doesn't look horrific, um, but we but we can only see less than half of it. So maybe the other half. I guess I guess we'll find out. The mirror's cracked, so we also can't really get a good sense of of what the image is. But uh, Callisto's like, "Why are you doing this?" And he's like, "You're strong." And smart and tough, and uh, this is the only way that I can hurt you is to take all of that away from you. She's like, this isn't going to work. Uh, and then when she show when he shows her her reflection, it does kind of look like she's wide eyed and gasping. And she sh- she shouts, "No! You're as broken as my mirror!" Ah, says a a crazy mask. And the last time we saw Mask working on Callisto, he had made her like all fugly. So so you're saying that we get more of this in this issue or that we get more of this in another issue? Because we definitely get more of it in another issue. I just didn't – I don't remember it being in this issue. I I, I don't I don't know how to say that. With, if you don't know, I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So, and I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. Okay, well, th- I'm looking forward to this. I clearly missed something, and that's kind of exciting. The name Callisto is not used again in this comic book, in this issue. Okay. So, anyways, um, back in Soho at that super nice apartment, they're all like, hey, big guy, you want to live here and be a handyman for Mr. Popolis? Pop- Which is Paulus? weird. <laughs> he does say... I pride myself on being a man knows how to size people up. So we'll do a trial run for a month. Any problem? And you and Philip and uh, Jenny are all out on your own. 
Uh, I should kick you out now, but I don't like I don't like thugs. I don't like bullies coming over and messing with my people. Philip does say, Mr. Paulus, your property needs a caretaker, and our new friend Peter needs a job and a place to stay. Fair exchange? So the man's so name, name is Peter. Is Peter. She confirms on the next page by saying, I know my name is Peter Nicholas, hmm. and I have a sense of this city and country, so I suppose I must be both American and a New Yorker. Oh, so, so. maybe he's like, uh, I don't know, what's a, like, a, like a New York accent. New York, New York. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> I do not give my word unless I mean to keep it. Eh? Eh? Okay. It's more just him shouting, I guess. Look, I've only seen like two episodes of NYPD Blue. All right. So there's a. I always, I always refer to the Ren and Stimpy joke where they. It's like a. I think it was a an advertisement for Log. Yeah. Where they talk about the different languages that log are in. And it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, one of them is New Yorkese. And it cuts to a guy going, hey, I'm walking here. Yep. As he crosses the street. It's good stuff. It's a good show. Classic Ren and Stimpy. Not like that new Ren and Stimpy. Ugh. Did you did you watch it when they rebooted it? Like, wait, are, which, like how new? Well, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Because didn't John Chris Avalucci retain, like, get the rights back, and then he did uh, a Ren and Stimpy, and it was filthy, and nobody liked it? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It okay, was, that's what you're talking about? I never saw that. I just heard... It was awful. Okay. It, there was a lot of... Like, you could do a lot with that, and especially w- without the restrictions of Nickelodeon. Um, I mean, you don't... Uh, um, uh, uh, Rick and Morty do it perfectly, right? It's a... Very funny, satirical, adult-themed, but it's not, like, dirty, filthy. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Ren and Stimpy, just, like, every joke was, like, gay innuendo. It was like, okay. <laughs> it was almost like he had been repressed so much that he just let everything go, and he needed those censors. I don't know, but maybe just better producers to be like, ah, don't do that joke ten times. Do it once. And move Although on. from what I've, what I've heard, he's a bit of a, he seems like a bit of a jerk. Oh, so okay. Maybe, maybe. But then again, Ed, you know, I don't know. I don't know the guy personally. I don't either. I, I've heard stuff about like him, his girlfriend having to get us, uh, what, what are those called? Restraining order. Them, a restraining order. Mm-hmm. But that could go, that could be either way. Sure. Who knows what the story behind that is. Uh, I know he did a, I know he did a Kickstarter a little bit back and he never, he never, uh, created the cartoon that he said he was going to. Hmm. So that, that makes everything bad. Ooh. <laughs> Hate those non-Kickstarter Kickstarters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I've never. You've never Kickstarted anything? I don't think I've ever backed a Kickstarter. No, I take it back. I did. I backed one Kickstarter. And, uh, did it uh, succeed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It succeed like. Uh, it was one of those ones where within like four hours, like it was overwhelmingly funded and, uh, but like, did you get your thing? That's, uh, that's what I mean by succeed. I, I did. I, I, okay. I, uh, the, 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 um, the thing was $40, I think for like the deluxe bundle or whatever. And, uh, he made so much extra money and put like a bunch of that money into like, further it was a game further development of the game and then he said uh well because we did so well like I, i'm giving everybody a bonus like everybody gets this other thing so 
Yeah, I got like a nice big box of of, of stuff. It's cool. Cool. I was like Kickstarter. That's great. But then I've also heard the horror stories of like <laughs> Kickstarters that just go on forever. They finally deliver the thing, and it's just garbage. I have not come across any that were scams where it was uh, people legitimately trying to rip people off, which is somewhat common. I wouldn't say. I'd say like these are like these are like maybe two percent of Kickstarters are people that are trying to scam people. I've luckily steered close though, but I have I have encountered ones where they just can't get their stuff together, and and uh, at the end of the day, they they blow all the money. They don't know what they're doing, and uh, you get nothing. And that's and that, what I'm talking about. I'm not talking sucks. about out and out scammers. I'm just talking about people that get a bunch of money. and They're like, all right, we got big ambitions, but have no idea how to execute now. Uh, right. oh, we did the thing, and oh, here, here's. Your thing, which isn't great, or well, you don't get your thing at all. I've done, I've, I've done two where they, the company ended up selling to another company that liked their product and promised that they would give the uh, all the the Kickstarters their their product that they supported and never came through with that. Mm. And and that's something that you're just like you can't really do anything about it because like they don't, the company that buys out the Kickstarter company doesn't technically owe you anything, so. I don't know. It should what be part of the Kickstarter terms of of, of agreement. Like by well, participating, the terms of agreement are by participating in this, you're risking everything. Well, that's true. So the onus is on you to lose your money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only done one, and it was very successful. Well, that's good. Anyways, uh, Peter Nicholas is. Uh, he, he's hanging out with Philip, and Philip's like, "Hey, you know, it sounds weird, but I think I might know you." Have we met? And uh, he's like, no, the first moment I remember is the one I saw you here. So evidently he just popped into existence right in this apartment. Yes, which is which is what we're led to believe. It mm. makes it makes sense. Same for same for Allison. She seemed to have popped into existence on that beach, although she must have been there a little while because she had all that uh, stuff on her. It's like algae and, and uh, she, she must have been in the water. Yeah, maybe she popped up on shore and then the tide washed a whole bunch of seaweed on her. She's covered in seaweed. So Peter stares out the window and he sees this very attractive model on a billboard. And he's very infatuated with the woman on the billboard. Who is that? Who indeed? That, there, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think it does. I think this is what it is. But I could be wrong. I, I don't, my memory is not great. Because cause these are happening at the same time. How would there be a billboard up? Well, maybe Mask has got a green screen <laughs> taking pictures, like hot pictures of Callisto. Oh, I'm not saying he couldn't he couldn't manufacture this billboard from the photos. I'm just saying the photos are being taken literally one page ago. Oh, yeah, but that, that's for like next month's billboard. Ugh. Like this has been going on for a while. Like first he he started like messing around with her face and making her all ugly, and he got bored. He's like, "Well, how can I take everything away from you? I know, I'm gonna make you a a dainty, helpless model celebrity." This is a major spoiler for anybody like me who uh, had no idea. I don't actually know this uh, because just I don't. I'm I'm jumping to conclusions because we just saw that Callisto scene, and now we're going to the billboard. Uh, either I'm wrong, or it resolves itself in a very unsatisfactory way. But I don't <laughs> actually remember where any of this all goes. It's it's a it's a good it's a good thought. I I, I think, well, 
I don't know. I kind of hope you're right. <laughs> but we'll see. Philip says, the latest, my friend, in a seemingly endless succession of babes proclaimed by Madison Avenue and the fashion mags as the most beautiful woman in the world. Now, uh, the latest, my friend, in a seemingly endless succession of babes. So what if Mask is using Callisto to make this seemingly endless succession of babes? Oh, it could be. So he's every be- most beautiful woman in the world, or Callisto is? Uh, mm. <laughs> I just assumed that was commentary on the uh, the, the modeling industry. It could be, yeah. This is just the latest, babe. There'll be another one next month. It's only a billboard, Pete. Even if the woman does exist, how can the reality even begin to be a match for the mystery? Now, question is, uh, Callisto has an eye patch. But I guess we don't technically know if she's missing an eye because we've never actually seen underneath the eye patch. Although I feel like there's a scar that goes up and down. We also don't know the extent of Mask's powers. Can he manipulate an eye into being? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be an eye that can see. That's true, right? It, if he can manipulate flesh, I don't know. I feel like an eyeball would be pretty complex to fake, whereas skin might be a lot easier. But well, he could he could create a eyeball looking patch of skin or something like that yeah, that yeah, yeah. Is, is seamless given that he is has uh, these abilities right so that's why i think this is callisto and that's why i think they're trying to throw you off the the trail because this woman doesn't have an eye patch she has two eyes they threw me off the trail just by having it two pages later because <laughs> i was like oh well, this is happening separately <laughs> okay and again I, I i might be wrong we shall see. It's it's good. It's a good thought on your uh, your part. Yeah. So, anyways, we flip our attention over to Hollywood and what's his face? Uh, Tommy Rockinshaw. Uh, what is this? Freddie Freddie Stanichek. Yeah, Freddie Stanichek. He's screening the Dazzler movie, and they're like, "Oh, do you have the you have the rights for this?" And it's like, "Yep, I bought a box on eBay. I mean, I bought I a box the from the film. studio. <laughs> I own the film and its rights." And uh, yeah, they walk through the back lot, and there's a bunch of cowboys and astronauts and a dude with a hatchet in his head drinking a cup of coffee. So he wants the Baron Fox Film Company to finance the completion, print it, distribute it, advertise it, and that costs money. And uh, he says, well, look at Batman. That's fiction, and this is about a real person, Alison Blair. And those stunts of hers aren't special effects. She transforms sound to light. And you wouldn't believe what she could do with it. And it addresses a real crisis in our society. The attempts of mutants. People like Daz are born with these special powers to find the place in, in the world. These are all good points. Except she's dead. Killed in Dallas, wasn't it? Along with her fellow X-Men? I would think that that would be a point in uh, Freddy's corner. Because, I don't know, people... But I guess if, if it's a dead nobody, people don't really care. Do people care enough about Dazzler that they would want to see like a story of somebody like if she was dead, would they would that kind of resonate with people? Oh, Dazzler, the mutant. I know who that is. It's a good question, right? So you have to ask yourself if um, let's see, uh, who is the guy that said uh, that uh, Rick Rick Springfield, the, the Rick roll guy? Let's say that uh, I'm equating him to is Rick Springfield, the Rick roll guy. I don't uh, think that, I don't think that's true. Uh, what's his name? The Rick Roll guy. Rick. I think his name is Rick Roll. No, I, I don't think it's Rick Roll. Just type in Google into Rick R- Rick Roll. First thing that comes up is Rick and Morty. 
Rick Astley. Rick Astley. Okay, I was wrong. Um, let's say Rick Astley, and I'm using him because he's kind of a one-hit wonder, and I imagine that Dazzler was probably also a one-hit wonder. So let's say that Rick Astley made a movie. It never got released. Five years later, he dies, and and then the uh, the movie is unearthed. Do people go see it? But do the world also know that Rick Astley is a mutant and was on a team of X-Men who <laughs> died publicly on the news, like saving the world a few years back? That's a good point. Because th- those all seem to uh, play into their celebrity. That that seems like it would be the trailer. You knew her as Dazzler. You knew her as a hero. And to save our world, she sacrificed her life. Now witness Dazzler the movie. <laughs> Having nothing to do with that. <laughs> right. But that, that's that's the trailer. That's the poster. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's everything. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but this woman, she doesn't see it. She's like, oh, man. Uh, Eric Beale. Fall of Eric Beale. That has the makings of a story. <laughs> she is a bad producer, I think. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> this other, that's old news. Nobody cares about a dead superhero that can do things. Let's talk about Eric Beale and his fall. Yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> Maybe she is thinking about, uh, what, what is that, the... The, uh, when when people can't talk about like two when you have two women characters on screen and they have to talk about oh, a man, uh, the what uh, is that the uh, the Beckdale test or the Beckdale test or something like that? Yeah, the like Beckdale test. Yep. Maybe she's thinking about like in 1990s. Could she have a female character like run an entire a, a movie? Could could she sell that? Could, would people go see a, a a movie starring a woman, or would they instead go see a movie about an old aging producer guy and then she would the 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 the, the dazzler character would be like a a smaller part oh it would be like his girlfriend exactly well she says corporate mogul destroyed by his obsession with the lovely mutant songbird mm-hmm. that's the hook because it's about a guy we could get leonardo dicaprio in the part <laughs> somehow the movie is makes it out that she's she's the villain like uh, she, her sed, seductions and, and whatnot drove him to the brink of craziness. And we actually end up feeling sympathy for him and, and not yeah, her. That's, that's Hollywood. That's, that's probably nineties Hollywood yeah. and, and maybe a little bit, and, uh, and fifties up until, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, maybe you got a point there. Maybe they're like, ah, we had Zandu that didn't do very well. Uh, <laughs> we're done with female lead characters for a while. I mean, if you think about how difficult it's been for, superhero movies to have a female-led character <laughs> up until wonder woman yeah it, it just it just seems like it seems like a no-brainer but apparently in the, in the 90s it's even less of a no-brainer should we jump on the late bandwagon and talk about captain marvel oh uh we could um I'm kidding <laughs> Don't I, I i saw it <laughs> <laughs> now like all the opinions that the internet had at the time that that movie was about to come out and nobody had seen it but they they were upset about her Oh, was there that? Oh, there, that, that, that existed happened. for like five minutes. Everybody was very angry uh, about her. And then the movie was fine. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like every other Marvel movie. Wow. <laughs> My point is, though, is that even in the in the mid to the 2020s or 2019s or whenever that movie came out, uh, there was still a lot of controversy leading up to, yeah. to that movie coming out because she had said some things about, uh, I don't know, men and... I don't remember. Who cares? She probably wasn't wrong, but I don't know what she said. So, 
Yeah. She probably has an, a more of an inside scoop into the uh, the actual industry than we do. I think she was also doing a lot of like, why aren't there more parts for like women of color? And everyone's like, you're white. <laughs> so I think there was like a little bit of like, stop being hypocritical. But also I think it was blown way out of proportion. So Was she the one who said that um, something about film critics, there aren't enough female film critics? Yeah. She, she, something like that? She said that. Which might be a fair point. She said something about like, uh, I don't need to hear what a white man thinks about uh, the Oprah Winfrey movie. Um, uh, the famous story that was done as a movie recently, Oprah Winfrey was in it. Didn't do very good. I watched it. I fell asleep. <laughs> uh, dang. I, I don't know. I don't know what this movie is. Sorry. This is important. Sorry, Internet. I'm letting you down. I'm really not up to speed on what the latest Oprah Winfrey film is. Well, it's 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 she hasn't been in a movie since that one she won an Oscar for. Did she was she the star? I mean, she was a lead supporting character. Okay, so she wasn't it wasn't a movie about Oprah Winfrey. No, what was that? She was in a wasn't it a Steve? The Color Purple was was the last one she was in. Well, no, she's been she's been in a bunch of movies, but. The color purple, I think she got an Oscar for. She, yeah, she won an award for the color purple. Uh, and that was Steven Spielberg, right? I, I don't know. Maybe. What the heck? You sound like you're uh, getting farther away from the microphone as you're searching for something. You're like scouring your room. <laughs> it was A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, I did want to see that. It wasn't, wasn't any good? I fell asleep. You know, when I think of A Wrinkle in Time, I don't think of Oprah. Um, but but that, that film I do want to see. Because I do remember enjoying the book. She was a, like a queen character or a fairy character. I don't know what she was. But, uh, yeah, the makeup and the effects were great. Um, from an acting perspective, I, I think she did fine. But I was bored and fell asleep. Well, it's a kid's movie, too. I I am generally riveted by, like, those Harry Potter movies. No, that's true. I mean, there, there's a lot of kids' movies that I'll be like, I'm 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 in. So this just wasn't a good uh, version of it or something like that. You know, I have never read the book, so maybe maybe I Did just... Did you watch those uh, on series of unfortunate events on Netflix Well, and the Jim Carrey movie? Did you ever see those? <laughs> uh, n- no. Um... See, see, there's two different types of like kids' movies. There's those, which I have trouble like focusing on. Because they're just kind of there's there's things about them that I really like, and then they're then they're then it's like they're so for kids that I'm just like there's nothing for me in this. Why am I watching it? And then there's the Harry Potters, which are kind of uh, they're not just for kids, although they're definitely for kids. Uh, I mean, I guess you could argue that Star Wars is for kids too, <laughs> but there's there's nothing for like there, there's more things in Harry Potter or Star Wars for adults than there is in like a un- series of unfortunate events type things. So. Mm-hmm. Or like, uh, uh, what is that one that came out recently on the the Disney the Disney thing um, that everybody is panning? Hamilton? Uh, no, no, not <laughs> Hamilton. It was a kids. It was a kids thing. Oh, there was it was another kids movie. Uh, I, don't know. I I can't remember. But it was another like there have been a lot of kids books that have come out since Harry Potter, and a lot of movies based on kids books since Harry Potter that are striving to do that Harry Potter thing. Yes. They even remade the, the, uh, the, 
the things from when we were kids, the uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They did three of those. Yeah, they, they were bad, and they weren't very good. <laughs> nope, they um, they were bad. I think it's I think it's a very difficult line. Even even the Harry Potter one, the seventh one, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it gets very dark and boring. It's like the broody one where they're just like. Uh, get on with it. It, it was like part one of part two. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I, th- I think that was the only one I think I've ever seen in the theater. Okay, that was the worst one to see in the theater. It absolutely <laughs> was, and I think the problem was is they're like, "This is it. We got to make two out of this one." And you're watching it, and you're waiting to, for the thing to happen, whatever the thing's going to yeah. be. You're just waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and it's like to be continued, and you're like. But nothing happened. <laughs> the whole movie is the setup for the next movie. And the next movie, the last movie is a satisfying conclusion. But I'm like, oh, my God, just break this first thing into this first movie. Edit it down. Somebody's probably done this, right? Edited it down to like 30 minutes. Cut a few things out of part two and made like a nice, succinct two and a half hour last chapter of Harry Potter. And it's depressing, too. It's just like everything is dark toned. It's like when you it's, it's interesting to watch all of the Harry Potters because mm-hmm. like it's fun to see them grow up. That's a nice thing too, but they start out as very colorful and magical. And by the end of the, the movies there, it's very dark and drab. Yeah, there was definitely, uh, actually the, the scene that got me the most was when Dobby's running across the beach. And I think he dies. I don't remember if that was part one or part two. I think that was part one. I think it was part one as well. I was like, Oh my God, this movie, this, this whole franchise just took a huge turn. <laughs> right, I mean, because characters had died before, but it, was, it wasn't like as stark as the shot of Dobby running along the beach or whatever, and then like dying. But I was also impressed by like, is that a is that CGI? Is that a puppet? Like it, like the scene itself, like looked really good. Yeah, but uh, Harry Potter gave Dobby a suck. <laughs> but that was a uh, uh, yeah, very the whole movie just everybody hated everybody and so you're sitting in the theater just like i hate everybody too and then it says to be continued you're like i was tricked anyhow uh what were we talking about oh yeah uh we're talking uh, about dazzler in the movie industry somehow brie 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 stevens brie owens uh she said larson brie larson she didn't need white guys telling her how to feel about uh, a wrinkle in time and uh, then the internet kind of blew up at that well, okay. I don't care, but uh, seems like her, that seems like her opinion. It's valid. I think the point is, uh, uh, I'm I'm lending to your point of in the '90s. You're right. The producer would have been like, "We care about Eric Beale. <laughs> we don't care about this woman. She's the love interest." And that I feel like hasn't quite gone away, even in what we would consider modern cinema. When well, you you have female led movies, but they're they're very specific types of movies. They're movies. For women, uh, they they have to have like a love story. They have to have or a drama, or you know, a very uh, somebody has to get cancer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I think isn't Steel Magnolias cancer, and then um, uh, Silkwood, another female led movie, cancer. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what's that movie with uh, uh, Jack Nicholson? What's that movie with Jack Nicholson, Adam? Does he get cancer? <laughs> I think he dies. Uh, I don't remember. There's, there's I think, a lot of Jack Nicholson movies. I think he dies of cancer. It's um, uh, is it the let's see, it's The Shining? No, <laughs> they made a a sequel to it like twenty years later. I don't think he dies because he's in the sequel. 
Oh, man. Um, I can't remember. They did just make a sequel to The Shining. We talked about it on our Patreon episode. He's an astronaut in it, but he's like a former astronaut. Oh, wow. Uh, is it that one with Adam Sandler? Nope. This is like before Adam Sandler was a thing. Mm. Easy Money? <laughs> Easy Rider? Easy Rider? <laughs> um, now I got to look it up. Uh, That's all I know. Jack Nicholson was an Easy Rider. Terms of Endearment. Chinatown. Terms of Endearment. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Which was directed by James L. Brooks. I had no idea. I don't even know who that is. Oh. He, I, uh, I don't know. He's a guy. <laughs> he did broadcast news, the Tracy Ullman show, and I think he's listed as a producer on uh, The Simpsons. Okay. Oh, okay. So he's the name that comes up at the end of The Simpsons. That's That, that rings a bell now that you phrase it that way. Anyways, uh, somebody gets cancer in terms of endearment, I think. I don't remember. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyways, to your point, very specific. Somebody's dying. Somebody's sick. Somebody's getting broken up with. So, uh, so Freddie Stancheck leaves disappointed. Uh, he is not able to make his dazzler dream come true. He has a pretty nice car. Uh, he's parked in G7. If Ginger Baron only knew, Beale isn't the only one who's lost his heart to you. I took my. I don't know why that would matter to Ginger Baron, but I took my best shot, Ellie. Sorry, I came up empty. I guess our moment of glory just isn't to be. We cut to Dazzler where she's trying to remember who she is with the computer. Well, maybe he thinks like maybe Ginger Baron would make a movie about me because I apparently am in love with Dazzler like Eric Beale was. I I guess maybe that is what he's thinking. I, I would think that would be even less interesting than the Eric Beale movie. Uh, agreed. <laughs> she's standing looking at the sunset. She's in a bathing suit. Uh, she's very model-esque here, which I feel like uh, Mark Silvestri is giving us the impression that you got Freddie Stanichek, who's your everyday guy, just a guy. And then there's Dazzler, who's just amazing. She's got long legs. She's perfect height, perfect weight, perfect bust, perfect hips. Way too perfect for this guy. <laughs> well, are they going to end up together? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember either. This, this whole stretch here that we're in right now is kind of a blur to me. So to a degree, I'm rereading things and going like, oh, yeah, that did happen. I don't even remember who Freddie Stanichek was. I don't either. And I don't remember where he goes. As far as uh, it could be that this is his last appearance, and <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with that. But According to the internet, he's in the next issue. Oh, well, maybe that's As his is last Ginger issue. Baron. Nice. So. Well, anyways, the, the house wants to know if it can do anything for Allison, and Allison's like, I don't know. I'd like to know who I am. And so house brings her to the recording studio in which... There's a picture of the, the Lila Cheney band and Dazzler's on the keyboards playing backup. Is that a picture? It's a really large picture. I th I was thinking it was like a movie screen or something. I, I guess, guess you're right. I think it's a poster because on the next page there's these gigantic posters. Uh, well, actually, it's I think it's projections. I think you're right. Okay. I think it's images just kind of flashing uh, in the studio. And uh, so you see Dazzler with her black hair, which is kind of where we first met. Oh, well, re-met her in the Uncanny X-Men in those early two teen issues uh, where she was hiding from, what's her name? Uh, Malice? Or no, she was possessed yes. by Malice for a minute. Possessed by Malice. She yeah. had the, the Malice 
uh, dog collar. Yep. And then we see uh, various Dazzler costumes. And she's like, oh, I was a superhero, huh? Oh, I was a member of a team, huh? Weird. I don't remember any of this. Her final affiliation was as a member of a out- group of outlaw mutants, heroes known as the X-Men. She does not remember them, but he shows them a picture, or the computer shows her a picture, and uh, mentions that she died along with the X-Men, and she says, so, what am I then, a ghost or an imposter? And the computer says, I can't, I don't think so. In so far as I can determine, neither. (laughs) So she says, doesn't know what to do, and she asks the computer, what would Dazzler do? And the computer says, go cruising. Yep. Odd computer. (laughs) Meanwhile, on Muir Island, uh, Forge and... Banshee? Actually, who's in the Cerebro room with Legion? It looks like Moira and somebody. Um, Moira and Lorna? Maybe, but see, last time we saw Lorna, she was trapped by Legion. But now Legion's free, so I'm wondering if maybe she's been mined... Uh, warped. It could also be, what's it, Corsi? What's her name? Oh, yeah. Susan, Susan Corsi? Or is that Tom Cor- Tom Corsi and... Susan Friedlander. Susan Friedlander. Yeah. Uh, so see, Cerebro, they need Legion here because uh, there's we need a telepath to run Cerebro. So they bring Legion out and, and uh, Legion is normal or pretending to be normal? Yeah. One of the two. He kind of does a jab at Forge. Feeling insecure, Mr. Forge? Afraid I might succeed where your techno toys failed. <laughs> and they're looking, by the way, I guess I was wrong. Uh, my hope is that you'll be able to locate the X-Men, or at least my missing bodyguard, Callisto. Oh, yeah. yeah. I said that her name didn't appear in the comic book again, and I was wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they fire up the Cerebro, and it goes haywire. And that's when the... The Gypsy King, the, what's his name? <laughs> the Shadow King. The Shadow King. You said the Gypsy King and my mind went blank. I was like, <laughs> oh, now I don't know what his name is. <laughs> I was going to say the Lizard King, but that wasn't right. <laughs> um, this So again, uh, this maybe this feeds into your theory that Shadow King and Forge and Storm, and in fact he does say Cairo uh, is all related into some sort of a storyline. Yeah, he says Storm and Cairo. So, yeah, the Shadow King emerges out of Cerebro, uh, Legion's head, mm-hmm. and Forge is the only one who sees him, and but he passes out. Uh, Legion says, my head, it hurts, it hurts. And the Shadow King does say Storm, Cairo. I forget what the Shadow King's real name is. It's like Ibn Sur or something like that. Or is that, is that Apocalypse? I don't know. Uh, I I thought it was... <sighs> don't remember it's it's definitely not (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was on like the tip of my tongue but it's it completely disappeared maybe maybe once again the internet can tell me this is the episode where we google everything yeah because i have this this thing up amal farouk ah that's what it is amal farouk I have this page up that has all of the characters that are featured in this issue. And I I do this every episode, by the way. <laughs> and this is the first time I've ever actually used it. But better to be prepared than not, I guess. I, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Forge says, face from my spirit dream. Something about this feels wrong, but can't. Hold on. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Cut back to Soho, where Colossus is taking out the trash. And this beautiful woman, who is the model from the billboard, runs into her. That's a nasty little tumble. Or, that was a nasty little tumble. Let me help you up. I'm Peter Nicholas. You were running so hard. Is someone chasing you? And in her mind, he thinks, how can anyone be so beautiful? She's flawless. Perfect. Hey, are you in trouble? Please, let me help. At least give me a name. He's growing uh, He's growing some stubble. He kind of looks like David Schwimmer. Kind of. Except like a, a muscular David Schwimmer. Yeah. Uh, the lady in this panel where he says, are you in trouble? Her eyes seem like glazed over like she's on drugs or something. Oh, maybe she is. What you don't know can't hurt you. Well, how would Callisto say it? What you don't know can't hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, she's beautiful. Mostly. Anyway. It's like Dr. Girlfriend from Venture Bros. I've never seen that show. You've never seen? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's a thing that you should see because this is right up your alley. Okay. Especially, well, so you'll probably make it. You'll like the first season. And then you'll you'll like the second season, but you'll start to, to peter out. And then it gets to the things that get like they introduce like a, a thing, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but you got to stick it out at least until that thing, because then you'll be like, "That's a cool thing." Okay. <laughs> How's that for a review? That's a cool thing. That's uh, a winning review right there. It's a good thing that this apartment was stocked with easels and uh, canvases, because it turns out Peter Nicholas is a pretty good artist. Is he actually, I guess he's he's only doing the sketch pad, though, or is he painting? It doesn't doesn't seem like he's painting. I just assume since it's Peter and there's a bunch of paintings in the foreground that Peter's been working on all of this stuff. That is a fair assumption. <laughs> Philip does look through his sketchbook and say, hey, Peter, these are good. Uh, just rough studies. They're nothing special. Uh, I'm not very good at <laughs> sketching. It slips out. He says, I feel like in a past life I would have said I'm not very good at sketching, but you know what? <laughs> I might actually be pretty good. Uh, this is, uh, Philip says, this is Jenny. And Peter says, as I see her. It's how she looked before she underwent genetic modica- modification. How could you have known? What happened? Why are those magistrates after you? And Philip gives us kind of the background, uh, enemies of the state, island of paradise, called Genosha, which flips us to the island nation of Genosha, in which Gene Engineer's mad. Gene Engineer is mad. He's talking to Anderson about how the uh, the attempt to kidnap the two uh, fugitives from Genosha did not work, and now it's created kind of like a political upheaval and a bad relationship with the u.s so he authorizes the full usage of the press gang to go in and do it again get them it didn't work the first time (laughs) well now they're going to use the full power of the press gang before they just had pipeline and some goons yeah i suppose so including your son says anderson and he says especially philip this is a matter of law chief anderson and no one no matter how highly born or placed can stand above it Justice may ultimately be tempered with mercy, but first and foremost and always, justice must be served. Well, he's committed to the cause. That's how he says it, too. Dr. Moreau is his name, so it's Philip Moreau. That's a movie I've never seen, The Island of Dr. Moreau. I hear it's messed up. Which one? Uh, The most recent one. The, uh, 
the one with Val Kilmer. Yeah, which is like 20 years old or 30 I, years old. I don't recall it being messed up. Okay. I saw it when it was in the theaters, but I don't I don't remember it being terrific. But it wasn't uh honestly I, I think I liked it. Okay. But uh I couldn't I couldn't really tell you anything about it. Okay. Well, I'm I'm probably never going to watch it, so it's not memorable. If if I could tell you more about it, I would, but that's literally all I got. Vel Kilmer was in it, and it had one of the last appearances of uh, that guy that was in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> uh, Stella! <laughs> Colonel Kurtz? Yeah, yeah, him. I don't remember what his real name is. Yeah, he's he's uh, he is an actor. Yeah? He's a pretty famous one. It's there are, there are, if, if, if there are people listening to this, they are probably angry at us right now for not remembering his name. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's not, <laughs> it's not Arlie Ermey. I know that. Who's Arlie Ermey? Oh, he's the, the drill sergeant from that movie. <laughs> oh, full mail jacket. I thought that was, uh, oh no, I'm thinking of the guy who was the, 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 uh, the kid who went on to become, the kingpin in Daredevil. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Pyle. Um, yeah, Gomer Pyle. Yeah. Uh, mm. He's an actor, too. He's an actor. He was in uh, Jurassic World as well, yeah. Really? Okay. I can't remember his... Well, I think uh, Daredevil gave him a little bit of a resurgence. Yes, it was It was definitely a... Uh, it was pretty good. He, was, he made a good kingpin. Yeah, no, I, I think it was great. Uh, anyways, back in Venice, California, a hot bod, hot box club so exclusively cool, it doesn't even have a name. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's that's classic Chris Claremont, hot bod, oh, hot box right. club. That, that, that's, that's all great. It's just the, the club doesn't have a name. I, I, <laughs> I was invited to go to one of those places that didn't have a name and you had to know the password. And I was just like, I'm <laughs> so not into this. <laughs> Stupid. Anyways. Was, uh, it a, was it a hot bod hot box club? <laughs> no, it, it was like a, it's like a little nightclub. I don't know. No, it was oh. not a hot bod hot box. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah. We had a couple of really expensive drinks and I was like, okay, well, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so Dazzler's here, uh, but I guess this is also where uh, what's his face Freddy goes. Stanichek. Freddie Stanichek is there with some with some of his buddies, and he's like, "Not my kind of place, Teddy." I would imagine that these are probably like junior producers that are trying to make their way in Hollywood, and they're like, "You got to play the game. This is the place to go." Yeah. This is like this is like the movie Swingers. These are oh sure. I don't sure, know sure, if sure. those guys were were uh, producers or not, but. They're, they were kind of like talking the talk, but they weren't really uh, all that effective of what they were doing. Yeah. That's what this reminds me of. And Freddie Stanchek's like, yeah, I'm not into this. Like, yeah, just everybody's playing a game, running hustles. Maybe you guys can handle it, but count me. What? Excuse me. And he sees, uh, he, he sees Dazzler and heads right on over. You don't look like you're having much fun. And you're supposed to change that, I suppose. I'm sorry. Don't you remember me? And she's like, yeah, let's get out of here. You're the only one here that's not looking at me like I'm a piece of fresh meat. Well, first she she says, I, I don't remember you. And he's like, oh, all right. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bother you. I'm going to walk away. And that's mm-hmm. when she's like, oh, well, okay. You're, you're not a creep. Totally. You started out as a creep. But uh, you were, you had the courtesy to walk away when you weren't getting anywhere. So 
it seems like your means or your your ideas were not uh, terribly filled with malice. <laughs> uh, Freddie Stanton. Still a creep, though. Yeah, she, he he says, hey, you want to go somewhere a little bit more civilized? And she's like, I'd love to. And then he says, I'm Fred Stanichek, and you're Allison Blair. <laughs> and she says, actually, I'm her evil twin, Skippy. Which are all sort of weird lines, but okay. Don't know why he needs to introduce her to herself. At which point, if I'm Fred Stanichek, I'm like, oh, maybe she's not as cool as I thought she was. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a good joke. So they go to this little club and, uh, well, surprise, surprise, Freddie Stanichek, he's a regular saxophone player at this little club. And he says, hey, why don't you sing along, Allison, because uh, we're a good band, you're a good singer. And she's like, I don't sing, what are you talking about? But she does sing. And there's a whole lot of text about how this is a more mature singing voice for Dazzler. And she's a woman, she sounds like a woman who's been places and done things, whereas the old Dazzler was innocent and uh, this is this is a torch song and not not a disco to song, I guess. <laughs> I'd like to think that she got up there and did a bluesy rendition of "Video Killed the Radio." <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's where I go. Video kill the radio star. Yeah, and it, it's it's heartfelt, and she had like a cigarette before she went over there, so her voice is just like a little raspy, <laughs> like it's it's got that it's got that tone in it. Hey everybody, I'm Dazzler. <laughs> Let's talk about MTV. And Dazzler's uh, real mutant power, which is to uh, cause incidents at places <clears throat> where she sings, happens. <laughs> yep. As soon as she starts to glow, a bunch of thugs break in with shotguns. They're like, give us your jewelry and credit cards and your pin numbers, because we're going to need those for your credit cards. I don't know why I'm asking for a credit card. Is a Hotbot Hotbox Club so exclusively, exclusively cool it doesn't have a name, a great place for a robbery? They're not there anymore. They're at like a, juice, a, a jazz club. Oh, that's right. Okay. They're at a dirty okay. basement bistro jazz club called Holes. Okay. So this is, this is more likely to get robbed. And, okay. I, and I hope it's called Holes, H-O-E-L-S, Holes, <laughs> Hole in the Ground, because that would be clever. Not hole in the ground. Holes hole in the ground. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, the, the thugs, they, they beat up people, and they grab Dazzler, and they're like, why is she glowing? Give me a kiss. And Dazzler blows him away, melts his gun. Dazzle blast, she shouts. And everyone's like, oh my god, who are you? And Freddy Stanichek's like, oh, it's amazing, I can make you a star. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, then the news is like, there was a scene last night at Holes Hole in the Ground where a woman, <laughs> reportedly to be Allison Blair, you know, Dazzler, who, who's dead, she's back. So the buzz is creating, so so maybe this movie will actually get released. And not only that, but we, we uh, none of our video has any images of her, so we just have to take standby's witness that it was her. There's some footage of nothing happening. Well, like the goons getting killed by or uh, taken out by by nobody. Well, and then you have a scene of Fred Fred Stanichek with his arm around nobody saying, I can make you a star, which is either he's talking to an invisible person or he's crazy. <laughs> but the, the reporters are on the scene to be like, nope, I see her. Electronical. She was totally there. So then we go to a dude's. I don't. Is this. 
Rick Beal or yeah, that, Eric this Beal? Is Eric, this is Eric Beal. Eric Beal. Um, so he's infatuated with Dazzler. He's living. He's got a mansion, high seal ceilings, a chandelier. Uh, pictures of Dazzler everywhere, top to bottom, on a bunch of papers on the ground. I'm, I'm guessing they're probably also pictures of Dazzler. And and he's like, "What? What's going on? Oh my gosh, I've been high on hatred and cocaine, but now Dazzler's back. I'm a killer." <laughs> I'm coming back, just like you, bigger and better than ever. Going to announce it to the world, Dazzler, with your death. Yeah, so I don't remember Eric Beale at all. <laughs> Here he is. He was apparently the villain of Dazzler the Motion Picture, but uh, we don't remember it, so you're going to have to take the Internet's word for that. I wish they would have done a follow-up. I mean, I guess they can't, but a follow-up with uh, that guy and Cerebus the dog. Um, Cerebus the dog? Don't you remember uh, there was a bounty hunter that spent a bunch of issues looking oh, for Dazzler? And then yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, they met up and he's like, you're not so bad after all. And they became friends and his dog's name was Cerebus, I think. Pretty sure. And Cerebus and think, Wolverine were fast right. friends. Yeah. And uh, he chomped on cigars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I wish... He was in this issue. He wouldn't be able to be a villain, but maybe it could have been a story where, like, he's kidnapped and... Well, maybe he'll be in the next issue and he'll save the day. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen either, but it'd be cool. And the only reason I wish that is because he was originally in the pages of Dazzler, which is fine, but then he was also in that one issue of X-Men 226, uh, right after... or 220. Five, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, where he had like a whole relationship with her and they were exchanging letters and stuff. Yeah, and it would have been cool to kind of like call back to that because we had that issue. We've established him in X-Men continuity and here he is. He's like all trapped or whatever. Dazzler's got to go through an adventure to save her and that's what maybe trips her memory back to reality. But instead we get this Eric Beale thing that despite you and I having read all of the Dazzler comic (laughs) books and Dazzler the motion picture graphic novel can't remember him <laughs> or freddie stanichek it, it's like chris claremont was like you know what would be fun to do a sequel to dazzler the movie the graphic novel that'll be great <laughs> and i think maybe uh chris claremont is so uh important or, or like he can do no wrong that the editors are like yeah yeah that's great chris you, you go crazy yeah, I mean, at this point, X Men is selling like hotcakes, and he's right; he really can't do any wrong. I'm sure. I'm sure this issue sold. I mean, it wasn't a bad issue. No, it's a good issue. Means. I'm just thinking that, like, uh, a a different writer trying to do this story, the editor may have been like, "I nobody knows who <laughs> these people are. Let's not do that. <laughs> we haven't talked about this character, I think, since 1984." Why don't we table this and we'll save it for later? <laughs> yeah. By the way, we're going to take you off of the X-Men comic book. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, we got some letters. We did. Did we? We did. We got at least one. Uh, Kane Marco Smitty 27. He's not doing his usual haiku. I kind of miss it. Yeah, It's okay. He says, uh, the quiz you guys read in episode 301 was fun and tough. I think you guys should have got the question about Changeling. He died the first time Professor X uh, faked his death, issue number 42, and I think that's correct, uh, so he could prep for the Xenox invasion revealed in issue number 66. 
I I kind of want to go back and listen to that and uh, reveal at some point which of the answers we got right and which ones we got wrong. Uh, maybe I'll maybe we'll do that around episode six hundred. I don't know. In um, my mind, we got them all right. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. As as I'm reading Kane Marco Smitty twenty sevens uh, little yeah missive here, I'm thinking, yeah, I thought I think we did get that question actually. So. So he probably having just listened it listened to it is must have misunderstood what we were what we said. Yeah, right? uh, we may have like <laughs> waffled between changeling and mimic, but I, I feel like we worked it out in the end. But uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Anyways, he for he, sure. He also goes on to say the not a hoax, not a dream tagline was used in the cover of issue number forty two and also ninety five, which killed off John Proudstat. Well, so I proud think star. He, I think he means proud star. As a typo, I would do that to him. Horrible. The typing usually i usually correct those in the emails but i forgot this time sorry Marcus <laughs> smitty 27 uh yes not a hoax not a dream this issue an x-men dies is that is that originally a x-men thing or was it in any other comic books at the time i i've only ever seen it on the covers of x-men hmm. cool and that particular one's for john proudstar i think the other one's not a hoax not a dream this issue the professor dies the death of Professor X? I don't remember. That doesn't really roll off the tongue as well. That would also be a good name for a podcast. Not a hoax, not a dream. I bet you it is. Yeah, you're probably right. Or was. It's it's probably been used in the context of a podcast uh, for the X-Men. Anyhow, yeah, if you'd like to, you know, contribute to the story and, and tell us to shut up and stop talking about movies, uh, <laughs> you can do so. Uh, Good luck with that. Visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, Twitter us at danger room go, email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes and subscribe to us, leave us some stars or leave us a review there, or go out to uh, www.patreon.com forward slash danger room. And, uh, you know, we've got some fun content out there, a lot, a lot more movie talk, as well as uh, a little bit of coverage of the new current run of. Uh, x-men which i think is about to run out soon since we're, we're gonna catch up i mean it'll never run out but we're definitely gonna catch up right since nothing new is getting created except for podcasts these days well comics are back are they they uh they yeah they they are they're back uh they're slowly trickling out i think the dc ones are coming out first but this is what july now um putting uh putting this in time i believe that marvel comic books are coming back now in july oh okay well good for them so we should get a new issue of X-Men. I think they're on 10 or 11 or something like that. They paused on 9, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So maybe maybe 10's uh, in the pipeline now. Maybe. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And, uh, As always. There's more to, more to talk about here, Adam. More to talk about. What do you want to hit up first? Uh, Excalibur number 20. Yeah, I read this. It was a little rough. Um, it's, it's a fill-in issue. It, and they kind of boldly proclaim it at the beginning of like, hey, while the creative staff takes a break, here's a story from the archives. Oh, boy. Um, the art is Ron Lim. And I guess, I think I've usually made fun of Ron Lim. Um, <laughs> but to me, this is like, just it's just like classic comic art. Like, I could see... This in like an EC horror comic uh, is his style. Okay. Um, so I, I think that's a compliment. 
So I've been reading. Uh, well, I was I was reading Silver Surfer around this time. Oh, that's right. He was a Ron Lim was a Silver Surfer artist for a while, wasn't he? And his his art in Silver Surfer is it's, I, I I enjoy it quite a bit. I don't know if his inker is different than on this uh, Excalibur issue. Joe Rubenstein. Uh, this is this is that who it is for this. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, it's probably different. Um, but. But uh, I feel like his his artwork in Silver Surfer is a little bit better than this. Not that this is bad, just it's uh, it's not Alan Davis. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's that's what the main issue is. Yeah. But I have a feeling that Alan Davis is not long for Excalibur. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think we get, might get a couple more, and and then I think it's uh, it's guest artist for a while. Anyways, uh, I mean nothing. Nothing terribly important. Important happens in this issue. Um, there's this uh, creature called the Demon Druid. He lives again. I I don't know if he's a villain from yesteryear, and I don't care. <laughs> um, but concurrently with that, Megan is kind of bouncing back and forth between being ugly and being herself, and being fat and being muscular, etc. And uh, Nightcrawler trying to um, comfort her. Meanwhile, uh, Brian's being comforted by, uh, what's her face? Courtney Ross, but it's really Saturnine. Yeah. There's one cool panel where um, uh, Megan turns into, like, Godzilla after seeing (laughs) the devil demon druid or whatever his name is. Which is a strange thing to turn into. Yeah. I like it, though. And then, you know, as uh, um, Saturnine or um, Courtney Ross is, is trying to court uh, Mr. Brian, uh, Captain Britain, he's watching this battle going on on TV and, uh, he, he can't shake the feeling, but, uh, Courtney Ross got some sort of plan going on there. So she turns the TV off and, uh, <laughs> so she says, I wonder if I should even tell him about this. And then the next thing, time we see Brian, he is joining the battle. So he, she must've, she must've told him about it. Cause she was spending the whole night keeping him away from seeing Megan and uh, the sort of implication is the issue is that by the end of this issue, Brian has had enough with the shenanigans of Excalibur, a la whatever Courtney Ross Saturnine's plan. Mm. Um, it it's not very an effect. It's not a very effective way of telling this story. It just comes off as kind of I don't know, lacking any sort of the complexity of, of a laid out plot that Chris Claremont usually is known for, but well, it's, oh well. it's difficult because you don't really know where this takes place. Does it take place before the, the, the caper, the time space caper, or is it after the times caper? I think in the first page, they do say this takes place before. Yeah, I think you're right. Somewhere. Um, Megan turns into uh, a stone and, uh, the, Demon Druid there, I guess he's using some life force to do a thing. Uh, Kitty shows up and phases into him, uh, but it hurts. Uh, and I thought this was going to play a larger role in the story, but I don't think it really does. Um, it knocks him out. It frees Megan. They all go back to the lighthouse. Kitty's got like this device that she needs fixing, but for some reason she needs Brian's help to learn more about it. But Brian comes back from Courtney Ross's and he's all mad. He's like, oh, I'm busy. I'm going to my room. It's like uh, Brian is is suddenly a technical genius on the level of Kitty Pride. 
in this issue. Right. Which, and, and I think there's a, a line in here where it's like, oh, this is from King Arthur's time or it has something to do with Arthur. But it's like it's it's like a it's like an electronical device. Like it, <laughs> it would make a little bit more sense if this was like a stone or a sword or a dagger or something that, that Brian could be like, oh, yeah, let me summon the powers of Captain Britain to tell you more about it. But it's it's this uh, gadget. Um, and finally, you uh Captain Britain makes nice, nice with Kitty. I was like, oh, I'll help you now. And Kitty's like, oh, my head hurts. But thanks for helping me. And they figure out that this guy is not evil. He just wants to get home. And he's trying to consume all this power to get the power to go home. And they remember they have Widget. Uh, so they have Widget make a portal and send him home. And then Kitty scolds, or Megan scolds Brian um, for trying to beat him up, I guess. Yeah, everybody seems to be kind of mad at everybody at the end of the issue. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not a great issue. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That That is the review that I would use, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. New Mutants number 87. So New Mutants number 87 is interesting because this like really if if we didn't if we weren't if we weren't aware that Rob Liefeld was a thing last issue where he also did the art, this issue just feels like an all-action issue, which the New Mutants up to this point has not felt like all-action. So I guess Louis Simonson and Rob Liefeld must be working fairly closely together. Um, I will see this for Rob Liefeld. I mean, I've never been a big fan of his art, but, man, he came to the table with a lot of characters. Yeah. Well, he's he's young, he's dumb, and he's full of uh, vigor. Um, art <laughs> art he's full of art i gotta wonder if like louise simonson does she write the rest of new mutants or is he she she writes it i don't know where somebody else takes over it doesn't feel like she's writing this anymore it's weird um i don't know if she's writing in a different style because she's sharing story duties with rob liefeld i really don't know what the difference is this does not feel like the same voice of the previous issues so I'm just looking ahead, and as of issue 98, it's Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nasazia that writes. 99 is Fabian Nasazia, and 100 is Fabian Nasazia. I don't know how to say his that name. Makes sense. I think Fabian also writes X Force. And the, oh, I thought I thought Rob Liefeld, he was probably heavily involved in all the plotting and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like story by, but. Script by Fabian Nicieza, I think is how you pronounce it, but I, I'm just pulling that out of a hat. No, I'm just going to keep saying it the way I say it. Nasazia. <laughs> I, I wasn't asking you to stop. But yeah, he's got, I'm not going to name them all, but there's there's a whole team of characters here, all with like fully realized powers and attributes, names. Uh, Rob Liefeld, so naive, he's like, oh wait, I don't get to keep these guys? But I made them. <laughs> I'm going to have to start my own company. Yeah. And by the way, Cable. Yay. We get the Cable. So so the characters that we see are the Mutant Liberation Front, and they're on a mission to do stuff. I guess they're setting bombs somewhere. Um, and then Cable shows up because he's hunting them, and we get to see Cable. And Cable kind of gets his butt kicked through most of the issue, but it's 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 going somewhere. It's got a reason. We get some more stuff with the new mutants where they're in Asgard and they have to leave Asgard and they figure out how to do that. Uh, what's um, her face? Um, force field girl. 
skids. Skids is in the hospital. Yeah, she's she's flipping through the TV channels, and then she uh, she sees a speech or some conversation with the Mutant Liberation Front, and she's like, as we're zooming in on her kind of angry-looking face with the spit curl of hair between her eyes, she's like, Mutant Liberation Front? What's that? And Mystique shows up? That she's, uh, well, last issue they planted like, oh, those evil humans, Rusty, we can't trust them. That whole speech is pretty much uh, verbatim put in this issue. <laughs> right. So she's, so she, uh, I don't know where this goes, but I'm guessing that Skids joins Mutant Liberation Front. I don't know what happens to Rusty. Maybe they both do. So Mystique shows up and yells at Skids and says, you know, who knows? Like, obviously, you don't know who the Mutant Liberation Front, but they probably want the information that you have about the uh, the uh, the babies. Mm-hmm. The the babies from Inferno, the Inferno babies. Which does this go anywhere? I mean, the, I the, really don't know. Do the readers of this at this point are they like, what? Who are they talking about? Because I feel like at this point, like two summers have passed, like in real time, <laughs> to which they're talking about these babies. I recall when we were doing Inferno that I looked up to see if the Inferno babies had any. Uh, other appearances and wait, wait were they in a comic called inferno babies because if they weren't that was a big mess <laughs> no Aww. they weren't but they do grow up to be mutants whether or not they're they're prominent mutants i'm not sure but they mm. will show up in other issues okay. whether or not that connects to this i have no idea sure so the new mutants get onto uh, a warlock ship and take off past the rainbow bridge to head back to the Earth, they have a map. It's great. Um, we int- get introduced with Strife, who is the stupidest character ever. Strife, to me, is what a 15-year-old doodles during science class. It's a terrible design. I don't... I mean, I guess it's the 90s. It makes no sense. Like, he's got... He's got uh, the shoulder pads, which the shoulder pads are fine, but off the shoulder pads, he's got these gigantic spikes that stick straight up. And then his helmet has got these giant Wolverine cowl things, but then he's got another Wolverine cowl thing in front of that with little, like, tusks that go down to his chest, (laughs) making it impossible for him to turn his head because his tusks would get in the way of his chest. And if he didn't have the tusks, his little head fins would get caught on the spikes. Like it, maybe maybe none of this is metallic. It's all just like rubber. It just bends yeah. everywhere. And then he's got like side spikes and spikes on his boots and a cape and a cow or a, um I don't know more shoulder pads behind the spiky shoulder pads. Like to me, like this is what I would draw probably in middle school or high school and be like, oh, dude, this guy is so cool. But this character can't do anything. He can't move. <laughs> It is a design that, uh, like, like, yeah, you, you're, you're right. It, it kind of just keeps going when, when it could have, it could have been a perfectly fine design, but he just kept adding stuff to it and adding stuff to it to the point where his cape in the back <laughs> looks like it's metallic. Yeah, and yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like a giant hooded metal carapace behind him or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Weird. But then in the next panel, that the carapace piece is is gone. Yeah. Uh, but to me, like, this is a good character if you get rid of the dumb helmet and all the spikes and the cape. If you get rid of all of that and you just kind of leave it with, like, the silver kind of armor design, I think you got something. 
Maybe, maybe like redesign the legs so that it's not armored legs inside of armored legs inside of armored legs <laughs> with with spiky hips, hip 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 armor. You got to get rid of the spiky hips, the spikes on the side. Maybe get rid of one of those level of armor, like at the middle level, probably. You can then you just have armor inside of armor, and then your little boots come out of the armor, and then it's okay. Uh, and Strife wears a helmet because he has a secret, but I don't think we know that he has a secret until he reveals. I don't think Rob Liefeld knows <laughs> that he has a secret yet. Until he reveals a secret. And to be honest, I know what the secret is, and I don't even really know what it means. Yeah, I don't either. Like, he takes his helmet off, and you're like, oh, well, that's weird. <laughs> Based on the fact that he picks up Wildside here, which is another new character, and kind of just force uh, chokes him, I feel like we're trying to get like a Darth Vader vibe. Where he's just like this guy who's uh, untamable and violent. Well, this is this is the new Magneto or Doctor Doom or whoever. Like this is the this is the big bad baddie for the new mutants. It's the new Darth Vader. Yeah, which begs a bunch of questions. Like, where's he been all this time? How come nobody else has fought him? Did he just design this armor? He is the head of the Mutant Liberation Front, who is just showing up now for some reason. Yep. But apparently Cable knows about him because he talks about him later. Carol, Cable knows all these people, actually. Looks like Thumb and Wildside were scrubbed from the mission. They bombed the lab just this morning. They'll be tired, stressed from Tempo's time twisters. Ooh, time twisters. Oh, that's right. One of the characters' name is Tempo, and she can, like, bend time or something? Which kind of She basically creates bullet time for people around her. Which is kind of a neat power, to be honest. Yeah. Very creative. It, it, it predicts bullet time, which is kind of neat. Yeah. To me, this is all like Rob Liefeld took all of his high school doodles and was like, I want to make comics with these guys. Yeah. And I think it's the 90s and, and arts, like is the stylized art is the thing. And and they're like, go do it. Good for him, man. I mean, take your moment and go with it. Absolutely. And then he does like Levi's 501 jeans commercials for a while. He is, for a while, he's probably the most well-known comic artist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, the, the comic keeps going on, very action-packed. Yeah, the, the new ones get attacked by nameless, mindless ones for some reason. It, it doesn't amount to anything. Um, we get more more stuff where Cable finally attacks. He's Now he's got an antenna poking out of his head. Um, and he's speaking to somebody. He's got a little microphone, like he's talking to somebody, but I don't think he's actually talking to anybody. He's just kind of talking to himself. I don't know. I don't know why he needs this microphone to shout now. <laughs> and he shoots people. Doesn't he have like a like a a Diane for Dale Cooper? It's possible because there are people at the end of the comic, but it also feels like that's just the government having captured him. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Also, the thing I take away from this is Rob Liefeld had no interest in drawing anything about Asgard, so he's getting them out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah. Which is fine. Which which is fine. Yep. Uh, yeah, and and uh, the issue ends with uh, uh, New Mutants back in, in Manhattan. They're, they see X-Factor's ship. It's falling out of control. It's going to crash. And uh, Cable is captured by the government in some building in Washington. And they don't know what's going on with Skids and uh, Rusty because they keep talking about how, I bet they escaped. I bet it was awesome. Yeah. Yep. You know, we're sure to have hassles with Freedom Force, but it can't be as bad as the fight in Asgard. Yeah. (laughs) 
I want to talk about this this cable thing at the end. Oh, so sure. It says, well, in a military complex outside of Washington, and then somebody says, you look like a hamburger when you when you when we got you cable. You're lucky to be alive. And I don't. I'm not sure if these are people who are like the people that he was talking to, or if it's just like the government. Like I don't know who are these people. I don't know. Pretty sophisticated prosthesis you have there. They don't seem to know anything about cable. Yeah, not government issue if that's what you're asking. So I'm guessing that they capture them and they're like, "What's your name?" He's like, "Cable." And then later they're like, "Okay, well, Mr. Cable, you look like hamburger." <laughs> so uh so Cable decides that he needs help, which I'm guessing he's going to get some help from the New Mutants. Um so yes, as you say, New Mutants annual number 5. Which yeah. which we already covered the boom boom story of this and I kind of wanted to uh the reason we're covering this now is because it literally takes place like the last panel of, of New Mutants number 87. Well, there's a, there's a stupid intro. Yeah. And then there's a couple pages where uh, it's essentially the same art because we have Rob Liefeld doing the art for this too. And then this, this came out like several months before. So I'm wondering if Rob Liefeld knew at that time that he was going to take over the New Mutants. Probably. Um, it's probably in the works, but they're writing the the same warlock configuration thing. They're talking about how it sure is great to be back on Earth, even if we can't find our ship. It used to hover around here. Boy, Asgard sure was cool and fun. <laughs> I bet, I bet uh, Skids and Rusty are doing it somewhere. This physically released prior to the Asgard story wrapping up. I think it was released. Yeah, prior to the Asgard story wrapping up, probably in the middle of the Asgard story. So I don't, I think they kind of were like, okay, Rob Liefeld's going to be taking over the New Mutants. We know this. So we'll have him do this annual kind of as a prep, or maybe this was his intro. Don't all of the annuals come out at about the same time? Yes. So, so, so this is confusing and there's okay. some timeline issues that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, so if this takes place. Now, after New Mutants number 87, then Acts of Vengeance has already happened. Oh. And Atlantis Attacks hasn't actually finished. So it just throws a lot of, like, confusion into the whole thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Because technically Acts of Vengeance is over when X-Factor's ship crashes back into Manhattan. Right. This story takes place while the ship is crashing into Manhattan, after X-Factor has gotten back from space, right after Acts of Vengeance. But I guess it all kind of works. I think the thing that doesn't really work is, the. Whole, I think this breaks the Atlantis attacks timeline. All the other timelines, I think, are fine. So what really doesn't work is that uh, we're super briefly going to cover Thor Annual 14 and Fantastic Four Annual 22, mm-hmm. only because they feature in the background the Seven Brides of Set, uh, who's a snake god, which is what the whole Atlantis attacks thing is about, bringing back Set. And one of the brides is an adult storm. Hmm. And we know that before Acts of Vengeance, Storm is no longer an adult. So that portion of the story has to take place before Acts of Vengeance. But this portion of the story takes place after Acts of Vengeance. Hmm. Somebody messed up. I blame the editor <laughs> whose name is Bob Harris. Okay. Yeah. I blame him. 
Or Tom DeFalco. It's probably Tom DeFalco's fault. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Tom DeFalco's fault. He should have been more up-to-date on Atlantis Attacks. I wonder if people just cared so little about Atlantis Attacks. <laughs> no, somebody probably wrote in for their no prize at some point. Maybe. Yeah, there, there's they, they could I'm sure there's a solution for this and it's like, you know, some sort of temporal causality or uh or or time shift or something. They go back in time and then they jump back forward in time or something like that. At any rate, this is this is a Rye Blyfeld drawn uh New Mutants Adventure where again we get more new characters. These are the new characters that kind of are like the New Mutants that the bad guys of Atlantis attacks sins uh, after Nam Namorita, mm-hmm. yeah, Namorita, and you remember when the New Mutants? I think it was it was in a in an issue of New Mutants. They bump into Namor, and there's a the horn that they blow. I remember the, the horn shows up. Yep, yep. So this is about the horn. Yep, I, I saw the horn as I was skimming through this issue. The bad guys realize that there's this awesome horn that they need to get, and Namorita has it. So they send somebody to get Namorita, and it has to be these three particular guys. For some reason, and the reason that it ends up being these three particular guys is so that Namorita will see those guys and go, "Oh, those were the New Mutants," because one of them is hairy and one of them has uh, dark black skin, and uh, I don't know what the third one has anything to do with the New Mutants, but apparently something. So she thinks they're the uh, Namor described the New Mutants to me, and one of them sounds like Sunspot, and the other one sounds like Rain. So that must be the New Mutants, and it's it's a whole big thing. So that Namorita, along with three other new Rob Liefeld characters called Surf, <laughs> can go fight can go fight the New Mutants. Trying to figure out that most of like the first half of this annual Namorita has a bikini bottom and like a frilly top that goes over her bikini top, and then for seemingly no reason at all, we turn the page, and now she's just full on bikini. So I don't know if. Rob Liefeld got tired of drawing that frilly thing, or if he's like, I want some more shapes in my issue. So the frilly thing is her sleep gear. Oh. Because she wakes up in her seashell clamshell bed, and she's wearing her nightie. Okay. And she fights the bad guys in her nightie. Eventually, she's awake. She's like, I don't need this anymore. Okay. And she tucks it into her underwater dresser. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, uh, she she fights she fights the new mutants until she realizes that the new mutants don't know uh, anything about the horn anymore, and then the new mutants help her go stop the bad guys. Uh, they they blow the horn, and a big sea monster comes and destroys Atlantis, and the new mutants help to stop the giant sea monster. This this issue has very little to do with Atlantis attacks other than that, like. It's it's basically an issue that kind of happens outside of the the actual storyline of Atlantis attacks. They don't really talk about the the seven headed god set or any of that stuff, but they do destroy Atlantis, which I guess is something that they've been trying to do. Guar is there. I remember him. He was the one that was trying to get fresh with Gene, I think. Was that him or was that the other guy? I don't remember. I think it was the other guy, because that was the guy from the Chris Claremont thing, the black and white issue, where that guy kidnaps Jean, and then he recognizes her again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that guy is working for Guar. Not, not, the, not the heavy metal band. <laughs> What's the next chapter? Fantastic Four or Thor? 
Uh, Thor. So Thor is basically uh, Thor and um, Thing and Doctor Strange. I'm doing this from memory. I'm not going to look it up. Are uh, they? Oh, and Quasar go and they battle the seven-headed god, snake god, and mm-hmm. cut off its heads. And uh, and then Fantastic Four annual number twenty-two. The Fantastic Four joins the Avengers and the West Coast Avengers, and they go and battle uh, the uh, the Atlantis attacks, basically bad guys. And then Namor shows up. Which one has Storm? Storm is in both Thor Annual 14 and Fantastic Four Annual 22. Um, I, I can't even tell you what page. I'm skimming. Oh, wait, here we go. Uh, seven Captive Brides. So I see Ms. Uh, um, uh, Invisible Girl, Invisible Woman, Scarlet Witch, Dagger, it looks like. Dagger, yep. Some other woman, I can't tell who it is. That's probably Storm. Um, Which one are you looking at? I'm looking at Fantastic Four. Uh, there's, there's like a column of women, and I can only see four. And then the next page, I see two more. I think it's maybe this one in the background is Storm, maybe? So if you go to like the second to last page of the issue. Uh, oh, wait, then I see Storm. Here we go. Now I see like maybe She-Hulk, and next to her is Storm with like a lightning bolt costume. She is wearing her old costume, which makes no sense whatsoever. This definitely looks like pre-losing powers storm. <laughs> so, so somebody's definitely not paying attention to what's happening. This is pre. This is pre Mohawk Storm's costume. Yeah, yeah. And if you are just breezing by the issue, you may not even realize that that is Storm. That's wild. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, Black Widow's here. Yeah. Maybe she was mm-hmm. one of the brides as well. So basically, like all the Marvel women. Uh, nope, nope. She wasn't one of the brides. She was not. Okay. She she helps the Avengers. Uh, spin bride wheel faster, faster. I like that they called <laughs> it a bride wheel. It is. It is a legit bride wheel. Uh, and then you, it looks like that's Storm with a Storm outfit. So does somebody say like, "Hey, Storm, how you doing? You so good?" Somebody says, um, "Thing says, okay." So one of the two unknown brides was Atuma's kid Andromeda. Okay. But who's the seventh? Looks like Storm of the X-Men. But I heard she was dead. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's a thought balloon by Scarlet Witch, I think. Uh, I think it's the thing. Oh, okay. I think you're right, too. Scarlet Witch is one of the brides. Yep. But she was dead. Uh, Yeah, and I guess She-Hulk and all the women are kind of coming to their senses, and you see Storm kind of rubbing her head. And then the next page, they they push something, and they're like, we're going to do this. We're going to strike back against the giant serpent crown that we were just, the the, the bride wheel was on top of. Wow, that's uh, that's wild. That's weird. (laughs) I'm going to guess that if somebody asked for their no prize, it would be like, nope, it was a clone. (laughs) They just didn't know any better. There's an intro that could be the explanation. It's not really storm. It's pre-space whale storm. Oh, sure. And it turns out that she really didn't die and get transformed into a space whale, but she got split and part of her went into the future where she was caught to be a bride of set and the other half of her went into the space whale. So the body, which is an empty shell, goes to the future and as soon as this adventure is over falls over and dies. Now the space whale gets the actual essence of storm. And that's, that's what happens to the real character. 
Wow. I, I, I get my, I get my no prize now. I, uh, that put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get Rob Liefeld versions of all of the, uh, of the former new mutants. So we get karma mm-hmm. and Danielle Moonstar. And then we get the ones that like Doug Ramsey who's dead and magic who is returned to her true age living in Russia with her parents, which I forgot. It's like, oh, yeah, Magic's not not an adult anymore. Nope. He draws Bird Boy, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Magma, who's also a former New Mutant. And then he draws um, another one with Skids and uh, Rusty. And Skids is – or Rusty's pants are super hiked up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Skids and Boom Boom and Richter are all standing in the same pose. It's not good. Yeah. Speaking of uh, not good covers, <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. X-Factor number 52, another Rob Liefeld cover, uh, only this time inked by uh, Milgram. What's his first name? Alan? Uh, Al. Al Milgram, yep. Um, it's not a great cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's Archangel fighting Sabretooth, which is uh, really all you need to know about this issue. Uh, it's it, not a very good depiction of Sabretooth in this issue either. No, no, not at all. It's like they st- like only only Chris Claremont knows who Sabretooth is at this point. Uh, the ship, uh, ship X-Factor ship is uh, parked now on X-Factor's property. There's a lot of people that are upset that it's obstructing the view um angel is is kind of off on his own i don't remember why he's brooding yeah he almost killed that cop lady and he feels bad about it yeah so he's off uh and while he's off brooding um Sabretooth is like oh my gosh look it, it's angel i'm gonna shoot him with my gun yeah which is weird but whatever uh meanwhile x-factor goes to a fancy party and the fancy party is attacked by bugs and we skip way ahead and we find out that it was the Locust from, like, way early X-Men. Which I did not see coming. I didn't see that coming either. And, I, and a part of me was like, this issue was worth reading. Exactly. <laughs> was, like, I was wondering, because they, they reference it and they're like, hey, remember when we were kids and we fought bug monsters? And I was like, no, I don't remember <laughs> that. And then they skip ahead to Gene going ahead to the roof and I saw the costume and I was like, the Locust! <laughs> we saw him. Uh, and he's got his Magno Ray and like, they don't pull any punches. And it's like, man, I wish they would do this more often. Bring back villains of yesteryear. This made me look up all of the appearances of, uh, the locust in the Marvel continuity. There have been four. (laughs) We have covered two of them. (laughs) Exactly. 50% of them have we covered. (laughs) Uh, there's some more stuff going on with the, the record store employee and, the little mutant, little Morlock she rescued. Um, she's mad that the X-Factor base is in the way. However, Iceman ends up dropping by. I don't know if he's looking for some records or whatever, but they're like, hey, looking look. Looking the latest Kate Bush. Oh, interesting. You know what makes me angry? <laughs> What's that? That new cover of that Kate Bush song. There's a new cover of a Kate Bush song? Yeah, well, I mean, there's only really ever been one song on the radio. <laughs> Actually, two. There's the... Um, uh, so the one song you're thinking of, I think it was covered by another band um, a while ago, and I saw them live, and they were pretty good. And this was like a like a 2000s band that nobody remembers. 
Uh, the song I'm thinking of is, I think it's, isn't it called Running Up the Hill or whatever? Uh, okay. I don't know the names. I feel like Hounds of Love is a thing. That's an album. Is, oh, that's yeah. an album? Okay. That's probably the one that Bobby's looking for right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's Meg Myers' cover of Running Up That Hill. And it's, in my opinion, it's like vocally and musically like a shot for shot remake of the original song oh that's too bad and i'm like if you're gonna just do that and then the radio station just plays that i'm like why don't you just play kate bush's one why don't you play the original one like if you're going to do a cover like rearrange the musical rearrange the lyrics like you gotta do like bring your own spin to it don't just do an exact cover of the song uh that irritates me about that and every time it comes on i'm like oh it's Kate. oh it's meg myers <laughs> like and maybe that band meg i don't know anything about that band or, or that um uh, her maybe she's really good and and it's just unfortunate that she did like an exact <laughs> cover of that song and and she's not getting the benefit of my doubt is that is that the puts the trend is now is to like do exact covers i don't know I, didn't didn't weezer do that with their uh yeah. Out of Africa or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, which I, I think, but I think that's kind of a different thing. <laughs> well, that that whole thing was sort of a, like a meme joke. Exactly. And I, and I think that when you take a song like that and you do an exact remake of it, I think people are like blown away. Like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, and then it gets old quick and you're like, Oh God, <laughs> I wish and I'd stop playing an album of covers and it's all like that. And you're like, no, no, yeah. thank you. Weezer. But when you take a song like this, I don't know, there's a, a difference because this is more alternative. Didn't get like the radio play that, uh, Africa got when it was in heavy rotation. I don't know. It's just different. Um, the other song I was thinking of was cloud bursting, which is, I think the only two songs that have been on the radio from Kate Bush. Apparently there is a Jimma Hayes cover of Cloud Bursting. Sure. I wonder if that's uh I wonder if that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't I could I couldn't find the band that covered Kate Bush when I saw them live. But that version's pretty good. Kate Bush is such a unique vocalist though that it's 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 like why why? Why cover it? Like if you want to hear that song, just just play that song. Ra Ra Riot, that's who it was. Okay. Look up Ra Ra Riot, and they they have a number of uh, Kate Bush stuff, and there's they're interesting enough that I don't think they're uh, recognizable. So you might appreciate them more than whatever this Gemma Jenna. What would you say your name was? Maggie. Meg Myers. Meg Myers. And again, she she might be fine. I've not heard her, but I just I, I don't like her cover because it's exactly the same as the original song. Anyways, well maybe maybe she's banking on people not knowing who Kate Bush is anymore. Maybe. I don't know. Sure. Which is somehow worse. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, so, yeah, Bobby's shopping for Kate Bush, and he uh, falls in love with the store clerk that we met in the last issue, and the mole guy gets really jealous of their uh, that they're going to go out on a date together. And, yes, she doesn't like the fact that Ship is obscuring her apartment. It puts her apartment in shade and is killing all of her plants. Iceman freezes the record store's feet to the ground. Because the record store guy's a jerk, and he's like, hey, you guys are going to dinner? I'm hungry. I'm going to go with you. But, you know, after his feet thaw out, like he's going to need them amputated. Which is horrible. He, he freezes him. He's like, hey, don't worry. Your, uh, your feet will be fine in 15 minutes. 
I'm like, I have this lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, Sabretooth and um, Archangel, they fight, they slice each other, and then they collapse to the ground. It, I feel like it's supposed to be an epic battle, but it's just kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. It's what you would expect. Sabretooth talks about his healing factor. Yeah. For me, X Factor, and I don't know if it ever comes back, um, when they go to space, all of the X Factor charm is lost for me. Well, uh, in twenty thirty issues, it'll, it's going to get a it's going to get a reboot. It's going to become a Peter David book, and then I'm gonna. That's when I'll get curious about because I never read those and I've always wanted to. I've never read them either. I'm I'm kind of interested too. I probably bought like I, I probably bought number not number ones, but the first like when they rebooted everything. I think I bought every first yeah of those. I think, and, I, think I have the first one as well. And I think I read it and I was like, this is weird. And I didn't buy it anymore. Yeah. And I was kind of like intrigued by it and I read it and I liked it, but I never bought it again. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But the, there there recently was one of those epic collections of that uh, run. Oh, interesting. So I picked that up. Nice. So I'll be reading, be reading that when we get there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Wolverine number 23, 22. 22. Something. Yeah. Uh, continues the story of Wolverine and the evil cocaine god that he's fighting. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, get to the good stuff. What's the good stuff? I don't know. Does it end? Sure, not this issue. Oh. Um, so last issue, they all got captured. This issue, it turns out that the um, the commandant of Tierra Gordo or whatever wants to use his son as the next uh, person that they're going to inject the cocaine into, even though they at this point believe that the cocaine carries an evil demigod that's going to smite the earth. They decide to go forward with it anyway uh, because they feel like the nun has enough superpowers to help them out. And through a mishap, the... Uh, commandant guy gets shot instead of the kid um but the kid gets one bullet in him so the nun's like well i gotta save my son i can't really i can't really save you dear old dad and uh so the guy shoots himself up to get even more of it and the spore god monster comes out and it's a big slimy thing that you see on the cover and then la bandera shows up remember her I, mm-hmm. she um, has rallied the people to fight against the Tierra Gordo people, and it's working out really well until they see the giant spore monster, and they all run away, and uh, Wolverine gets swallowed by the giant spore monster, and that's how it that's how it ends. Um, oh my god! So this uh, I, I don't, the only interesting stuff in this episode was kind of roughhouse has is now like super mellow and he doesn't want to be like a bruiser anymore. He's just, he's, he's lost all of his uh, anger and he's just a super mellow guy. And I, I kind of like that. I don't know if we ever see him again after this. Nobody still believes that he's Wolverine at this point, which is silly. He's running around in a Wolverine costume and they're all like, why are you running around in a Wolverine costume? He's don't dead. you know Wolverine's dead? <laughs> But uh, I guess Roughhouse believes that he's Wolverine because he calls him Wolverine. So that's something. All right. Uh, and then Marvel Comics presents number 43, 
Um, another episode where nothing really happens. The companions that Wolverine is hanging around with leave him and go to face off the white shadow, black shadow by themselves. And Wolverine follows them. That's pretty much all that happens. Um, Beast is in the Wonder Man story again. That was kind of fun. Yeah. They somehow teleport across the world and get bested by Wonder Man and Enchantress. And then there's a siren story in the back. Did you see that? I did, and I flipped through it. I liked the art in it. Yeah, it's got it's got some cool art. It's uh it's another team of people that I don't know if we ever see again. They're the new Irish uh superheroes, I guess. There's a leprechaun, which is kind of cool. There's a leprechaun, which I was trying to find a way to tie him into the leprechauns who knew <laughs> Logan's name. Yeah. I was like, maybe maybe it was this guy. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but uh, thereafter, uh, Sean Cassidy at Cassidy Keep and Siren's there, and she single-handedly stops all of the bad guys and then runs out and destroys their government helicopter in order to teach the government a lesson that they really shouldn't be messing with the Cassidy family. Although I, f- I feel like when Wolverine meets the leprechaun, it's at Cassidy Keep. There you go. There's a connection. So it may not be this leprechaun, but I bet you it was this leprechaun's brother or cousin. Or maybe there's a Weapon X program of leprechauns, <laughs> of which this this is one of the members of, and uh, and that's how they know Wolverine because it's like it's like Weapon L, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was somehow it was somehow loosely connected to to Logan. I wish that, and maybe this exists, but I doubt it. I wish that somebody would come up with like a super gritty Wolverine graphic novel in which we get the partnership of Wolverine and a leprechaun and it's played like dead serious. And you've got like some serious art talent behind it. So when the leprechaun shows up, you're not like, Oh, ha ha ha. It's a leprechaun. Like you're like, Oh my God, it's that badass leprechaun and Wolverine. <laughs> and they go through some stuff. And, and then finally at the end of the issue, Wolverine's like, yo leprechaun, I gotta, I gotta confide something into you. You know how you've been asking me for my name, this whole adventure. <laughs> well, I don't tell many people this, but it's Logan. Yeah, it could be drawn by uh, by Simon Bisley. Do you uh, are you familiar with Simon Bisley's art? No, it's like super gritty, um, realistic type of stuff that I think I think would work well. Yeah, in this type of thing, he do he did a lot of uh, Lobo when Lobo was popular back in the nineties. Oh, sure. And this would, this story would take place before weapon X. So that would explain why yeah, when, of course. when Wolverine's at Cassidy keep and the leprechaun's like, Oh, Logan, it's you. He's like, how do you know my name? Oh, whatever he says. There's a lot we know about you. There's somehow I want that to also tie into this Marvel comics presents issue. Oh, okay. With, yeah. With this le- leprechaun as well. Sure. But he He's this other leprechaun's friend. And there's a whole leprechaun program. Or maybe like there's a little subplot about like how one of the leprechauns really has it in for the Cassidy's and Wolverine's like, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Died in. All right, Adam. Uh, you got anything else? Sure. We could, we could talk about some more movies. We could. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
I suppose we can save that for later. Uh, uh, I, do, do we do we cover everything? We got we got our letters. We got all our issues. We're done with Atlantis attacks. We're done with acts of vengeance. We're back to normal. So I guess we're good. Oh my god! Well, until next time, uh, and we have a normally length episode. My name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>